Recorded live. Hello again, everybody. This is Pastor Visser from Covenant People's Ministry. Thank you for tuning in tonight for a Wednesday night Bible study. And a special thanks goes out to all of you who are returning from yesterday's special edition Wednesday night or Tuesday night Bible study where we featured Eli James discussing the fact that Jesus Christ is not a Jew. With me, like always, dear Kim's folk, is Obadiah 118 from the ChristianIdentityForum.net. Are you there, brother? I am, Jeremy, and g'day to you, listeners. Great to be with you once again. Oh, indeed. I'm still digesting yesterday's show. I've been listening to Eli, you know, all day throughout the day today, because that ended up being about four, four and a half hours, or three and a half hours anyway, and there was sure a lot of spiritual meat there to digest. Yes, it wasn't just sort of... um feasting yourself on the word it was totally gorging yourself on the word yesterday wasn't it uh, i mean there was so much um scripture and uh, historical references and everything there i mean eli, eli you've got to admire the guy he really knows his stuff indeed and you know that whole topic jesus is not a jew is one of those topics that like in christian identity uh, you know a lot of pastors strive to go for that one first but uh, you know i'm proud to say that my first jesus is not a jew broadcast was with eli james so I think it was it was you know it was done pretty well. I think all three of us handled it pretty good because you know it's a little cliche to say that because even as Eli James pointed out, there's probably about 20 identity ministers who all have an article on Jesus Christ you know not being a Jew. But I think Eli tackled it from an entirely different perspective. Oh, he did, and he tackled it from such a thorough perspective too. I mean, <laughs> he really left no stone unturned. It's the kind of podcast, Jeremy, that you have to listen to again and again just to get all of it. Because I, I, you know, it's such a, an information overload, you know, because he's only got a short time to, you know, talk to us, relatively short time, two hours, and it's such a lot of information to put in there. So you need to sort of listen to it a couple of times. Well, at least a, a fool like me who doesn't absorb information too readily and needs to listen to it to a couple of times. But it's well worth listening to again. Indeed. And, you know, the thing I think is quite interesting about that is I received a few emails, and there's a few posts around about the Internet, people having problems with you and I having uh, Eli James on, and it just goes to show when people start trying to tell people who to listen to, you know, I'm striving to get David Manning, the Negro pastor, on this show so he can sit and talk about the evils of the, of the black man. But a lot of people out there get real insecure and real upset and want to tell people who they should listen to and who they shouldn't. Yes, um, look, we're just so critical of each other. I mean, we're like sort of lions waiting to pounce on each other and attack each other over the smallest things and I mean it's just ridiculous I mean we've got to stop doing this I mean we're all in this together we need to be praying for one another and supporting one another and if you don't like something that somebody does you know just let it go I mean most of the time it's it's that unimportant you know it it doesn't really matter and you know by having David Manning on doesn't mean that you you know you're advocating that we mate with blacks and hang out with blacks you just want his uh, opinion on you know black people Exactly, and that's the whole point of this show, and as I had had briefly mentioned at the end of last night's broadcast, I had stated that, you know, this show's going to probably go into other realms as well, because we've got I've got some people I need to email and call back, and, and they'd also like to have a soapbox to be able to discuss some of these pastors that have wronged them, quote-unquote pastors, you know, just as they have us, and so there is a time and a place for everything, there's a time to preach the word and teach the word, and there's also a time to be watchmen on the wall, I believe. Exactly, and I was um, I, I was thinking the other night uh, we had uh, Pastor Bob on a couple of weeks ago, which was a really great podcast, 
And uh, I'd like, I was wondering if maybe we could twist Bob's arm to get uh, Pastor Wickstrom to come on sometime. That would be good. That would be really good. You know, a lot of people would tune in for that one because, you know, Wickstrom's among our best. And because he's among the best, seemingly, he's the one that is uh, probably slandered and defamed the most by not only the ADL and the Southern Poverty Law Center, but also self-professing Christian identists. And uh, you and I and he could all get together and sing a, sing a round or two of Jingle Jews. <laughs> Jingle Jews, exactly. Or, or, uh, or Santa Claus is coming down Rabbit Track Road. Oh, oh boy, I tell you what. Yeah, uh, he's, he's giving 338 a miss, I can tell you that. Oh man, I'm telling you, the more I hear, the more I uh, I study out uh, Rabbi Samuelson there, the more I really do not want to live anywhere near Missouri. And I say to myself, not to sound racist against my own, but what the hell is in the state of Missouri? But the but the arches, I guess. Yeah, well, well, imagine living in a place called Rabbit Track Road. I mean, you know, he he is an unclean beast living in a street named after an unclean beast. So fitting, too, a rabbit with the whole, uh, the rodentia and, and the big, you know, a rabbit like a rat can do a lot of damage if you allow it. If you let them stay in your attic or stay under your porch, they're going to chew through the Romex wires. They'll chew through your plumbing. They'll do all sorts of stuff. So it just kind of goes to show how those of us, those out there who claim to be Christian identity and so forth, in a lot of ways, if Yahweh doesn't take them out of the way, they take themselves out of the way, and I think it's doing the same exact thing. They chew the wire out from underneath them. Yeah, well, pretty much everyone in Christian identity and uh, most people in white nationalism want nothing to do with Marty, and I was just astounded and astonished and amazed that uh, Hunter Wallace would actually go on Marty's show. I mean... I think he's kind of backpedalled on that now. He kind of deeply regrets having done that because he's copped a lot of flack from um, Alex Linder and company, and rightly so. I go along with Linder on this one. Yeah, that's true, and I think he learned the hard way that if you go on Rabbi Samuelson's show, it's going to be about three hours of him talking about how the Swedes settled parts of... uh, Missouri and Tennessee and so forth, and basically a lot of babble speak that has nothing to do with anything, and that's exactly what I think we've pointed out, and Eli so eloquently pointed out, is what the tear does is draw you away in a lot of ways from what you should be doing. While we should be addressing them and their behaviors as well, they, they seemingly have the ability in a lot of ways to throw a monkey wrench in and to get people stop writing their articles or their treaties and start addressing slander and defamation that's been launched towards them. Exactly. I mean, that's what Marty does. I mean, anything Marty does to me doesn't worry me at all. He can call me over gender bent all the live long day as far as I care. I mean, calling me names has absolutely no effect on me. But um, what they do do is distract you because they slander you all the time. You want to get your own back. That's one of the reasons that I tend to stay out of chat rooms now because I get into a fight with Marty and Dogbuster, a.k.a. Anchorage activist. We'll talk about him, something he did uh, yesterday in in a second. But... um, is that you end up spending four hours there just abusing these guys. It's just a waste of time. I've, I mean, there's so much I need to do writing-wise and with my, and my you know, um, forum-wise that I just don't have time for it. And, you know, and I've got to make a choice. You know, what, what am I going to give preference to, you know, attacking these idiots or you know, doing Yahweh's work? Yeah, indeed. And, and it should be pointed out that you released the first chapter of your uh, first book there, I noticed. Yes, and I've got that one glowing review, albeit a, a brief one from somebody on your forum, so um, somebody likes it. Oh, excellent. 
Excellent. Yeah, you know, it's going to take a while, but it'll eventually make the rounds. And, you know, of course, you'll have Samuelson go ahead and take it and defile it like he does. But, again, another nod of, uh, of uh, how, can, how can you put it? A man's known by Appreciation. his Appreciation. Exactly. Respect. It's something that Marty dislikes, then you know you're on the right path with God. So, Well, Marty can't come up with anything creative on his own. He has to take other people's work and corrupt it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And and that's something we pointed out as well. And in fact, a debate I've even had, oh well, a loose debate that I've had on your forum this week is, I think a lot of people miss the fact that it was Yahweh God who did create Satan. Satan was one of his sons and considered one of his angels. But where people miss it is the aspect that Satan doesn't create. And therefore, any children that come from Satan would be hybridized. They would be hybrids. They would be mamsers and mixed. So, you know, the Jews are not created by Yahweh God, but Satan as an angel most definitely is, and that's exactly what he does. The devil can take what's created good by somebody else, or in, the, or in his case, Yahweh, pervert it and regurgitate it and vomit it back out and pass it off as his own. Yes, well, Yahweh created Satan. The Bible's very clear about that, but he didn't, he didn't make Satan evil. I mean, that was Satan's decision to do that. So, um, you know, he makes all of us, and, you know, it's up to us whether we do evil or do righteousness. Yeah, well said. And that's a choice each and every one of us surely have to deal with every day because, you know, it, it says in the Bible that we should regard the time because we know the time is short. And, of course, a detractor will come along and say, well, that was written 2,000 years ago. But the aspect that for 2,000 years people have been regarding the time and looking for signs and seasons doesn't mean that anybody was wrong throughout those ages. I tried to point that out as well. The atheist was coming along saying, well, they've been trying to predict the end of the world world since the beginning of time but that doesn't mean that there won't be an end of this age but that's what they like to take it into no well we're currently in the end of the age and the bible talks about you talking about time there the bible talks about how we have to redeem the time get it back make the most of it well we can't really get it back that's impossible but we we can make the most of it and we need to really be about our father's business and not getting into these pointless bicker you know, bickering fest that we, um, you know, uh, it's so easy for us to get involved with. You know, if somebody, you know, criticizes criticizes you because of, you know, they don't like, you know, a particular, um, you know, theological thing that you're you're pushing. You know, they don't like a particular a doctrine or, you know, a stance on something. You know, just let it go, folks. Don't don't argue with them. Just, you know, pray that, you know. Yahweh will bless that person. They'll be counted worthy on that great and wonderful day and pray that um, they preach the word faithfully and um, you preach the word faithfully. Maybe if you set that example, they'll, they'll do likewise to you. Yeah, that's a very good point, too. And, and kind of as I briefly touched upon already, where I stated, you know, when these guys walk around and they're really worried that somebody might listen to somebody else, it seems to me they've already lost the game because Christ clearly said, my sheep hear my voice and they'll follow. I tell people all the time, and I know you do as well, Obadiah, that they should listen to pretty much everybody in CI and come to a, you know, their own decision, think for themselves, and, and essentially, you know, everything else makes itself manifest through what taught or, or a person's works well i'm forever promoting other people's stuff you know their forums <laughs> sometimes i promote them more than i promote myself my forum but it doesn't worry me because I, I think to myself jeremy you know um, we can't be everything to all people what what is imp it's not important whether come, someone comes to my forum or your forum or bill's forum just as long as they go somewhere where they're going to get accurate information about yahweh and uh, you know are pointed in the right direction as far as his word and who he is and you know our position in him is concerned and, and you know the truth about race 
So if they get that from my site, great. If they get, them, get that from your site, that's great. If they get that from Bill's or someone else's site, that's great too. I'm not going to play favourites. As long as, you know, we're here to, you know, we're here to promote Yahweh, not ourselves. Our sites are just a vehicle to, to promote Yahweh. So it doesn't worry me. I, I mean, obviously, I'd like my site to do well. I mean, it'd be stupid to create a site and, you know, not, not want anyone to, you know, visit it. I mean, obviously, you want people to make the most of your site. But if my forum is the least popular dual C-line Christian identity forum on the planet, so be it. As long as I'm faithful to Yahweh and, you know, do, do the best that I can to my own extremely limited abilities with the information I post on the, the forum the, the, and the stuff that I write, then, then I've done the best I can. Exactly. Well said, because, you know, in Christian identity especially, there's a lot, too many chiefs and not enough Indians. And unfortunately, I've seen that happen a lot of times where somebody will bring up a theory or a, a theological discourse that someone else doesn't agree with, and all of a sudden there's this schism. And, you know, oh, well, you can't listen to so-and-so anymore or you'll be branded so-and-so. And that's what I think the beauty of some of the shows we've done is. You know, I don't really care if they get upset that I've had Eli James on my show. Eli's been a good friend to me, so be that as it may. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. Well, Eli, having Eli on the show was my idea, so if anyone's looking for someone to blame, blame all over gender bender. But, um, <laughs> The reason I had Eli James, well, you had him, you know, ultimately it's your decision, but the reason, you know, I wanted him to come on the show is that um, I just want to show everyone that this is, you know, this is neutral territory. We're not going to play favourites here. We will disagree with people if, you know, we don't believe in their theological stance, but um, we're certainly not going to call them names. And, you know, if someone calls us names or thinks that we're doing the wrong thing, you know, well, well fair enough. You've, you've got to admire people for their passion, their fervour for wanting to, you know... Um, earnestly contend for the faith but the problem is also more often than not we tend to let our earnest earnest contention wander over into slander territory and you know that's when we sin when we disengage ourselves from Yahweh's grace as we were discussing the other day and we don't want to do those things we want to be as faithful to Yahweh as we possibly can we want to create a spirit of unity within Christian identity without compromising our beliefs folks um, you know, we're entitled to our own individual stances on things. We're not asking for people to compromise their, 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 their beliefs. But, um, you know, we, I think, Jeremy, if we started praying for one another, if we started taking that step in faith and praying that uh, we all preach Yahweh's word more accurately, more faithfully, we're all tender-hearted towards one another and we're all counted worthy on that day, then we'll see these things occurring. You know, our, our actions... Our faith will, you know, um, actuate Yahweh's word and we'll see his promised blessings. We'll see that unity. We'll see that um, more accurate preaching of his gospel and we'll see ourselves ultimately, you know, standing before Yahweh on that day, getting that, you know, wonderful, you know, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Yeah, exactly. And that's the whole thing about it all is there is so much slander and and labelle and lies about people out there, mostly fueled by the Anti-Defamation League, that when someone like myself doesn't drop to a level to address some of their fiction, you know, it's because of that. I've even said that before. People ask me, well, how come you don't address this or this or that? And I'm like, well, because it's something somebody made up. How, you know, how exactly can you defend yourself against total fiction? So that's what I like to remind people. It's not everything you, in fact, most of what you read on the Internet is complete and utter fabrications. Well, the Bible says we used to sing in our old Pentecostal church. You probably know this song. We've got a great big wonderful God. Have you ever sung that song? I've heard it, yeah. All right. Well, well anyway, you know, so many times we get upset about the, the lies people tell about tell it tell about us or the half-truths and you know we make such a mountain out of a molehill and we think it's 
we sort of carry on as if it's the end of the world, as if we don't, you know, sort this thing out, then, you know, the, the whole universe is going to crumble down upon us. But um, ultimately, we've got to put our trust in Yahweh. The Bible says if you humble yourself in his sight, he will exalt you in due season. And Yahweh will. If, you know, if you're doing the right thing and people are you know, abusing you left, right and centre, Yahweh will ultimately make sure that they're, they're the ones who end up looking like the fools and you're the one who ends up looking correct because you are correct. And, you know, um, so, so it's important that you know, we, we don't allow ourselves to be distracted, to, dis, to be di distracted by, um, you know, the things that other people say about us, even other Christian identists say about us. And if they do say things about us, well, the Bible says 70 times 7. You have to forgive them. And, you know, just praise Yahweh that here is a wonderful opportunity to, for you to exercise some of that forg forgiveness that Yahweh commanded us to do, you know, to be tender-hearted toward one another. And, yeah. um, you know, if we do that, if we, start, if we start growing in mercy, you know, we talk about growing in knowledge, but I think more often than not, we, it's more important that we grow in mercy than it is knowledge, even though, you know, I'm not taking anything away from, you know, studying scripture, of course. But, you know, if we grow in mercy, then Yahweh will grow in mercy towards us. And, you know, if we're, we're compassionate, if we're forgiving toward one another, Yahweh will do likewise to us. But if we're not, then he, he will judge us by the same judgment judgment that uh, you know the same measure we um you know judge 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 others by so we want to be very careful and very circumspect that we we show that forgiveness and, and we actually you know do it you know if we're not forgiving people if we can't perform that basic commandment that basic function of our um you know discipleship you know to forgive one another as Yahweh has forgiven us then, then you know we're just sounding brass we're just wasting our time sorry for the rant but I feel strongly about that. No, that's that's really good advice as well because that's the whole thing. And I think a lot of people out there miss the aspect that even if somebody within Christian identity or another pastor comes along and says something, you know, that doesn't mean he's wrong. Many times it could be us in the level that we're on. And so as Christians, a lot of times we're commanded to go ahead and put things on the shelf and kind of meditate on them because later on, you know, they're a little here, a little. The word is pregnant, if you will, and it grows. Later on, we may understand this premise. And so we can save ourselves a lot of grief by just not slandering and, 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 and engaging in gossip right now. Well, I have the advantage of that in that uh, I'm incredibly stupid and I'll never be a theologian. I'll never go around calling myself a pastor or anything like that. I just, you know, I just don't have, have the, you know, the mental wherewithal to be able to do that. So, so I, I, I go by the, by the, the viewpoint, Jeremy, that, um, that what I'm preaching could be wrong. Not all of it. I certainly don't believe that. Not most of it. I don't believe that either, but some of it. So I'm not going to cling to it as... Uh, you know, uh, as desperately as some other people cling to their particular beliefs. So, so if I'm shown to be wrong or somebody disagrees with a, a particular theological standpoint I have, I'm not going to freak out about it. I'm not going to think they're, they're evil or rotten or anything like that, even if they, you know, abuse me for my standpoint. I'm not going to get into an argument with them over it. And, I, and for two reasons. The first one is because I see in Yahweh's word I'm not to. Um, you know, that doesn't mean we shouldn't debate the, the, theology, but I'm talking about outright arguing and because Yahweh by his spirit has told me. I, I, I mean, you know, I just feel it, you know, every minute of every day. I, Yahweh doesn't want me to get involved in that at all. It's like, you know, there's an alarm bell inside my head. You know, just don't do it. So I, I, I'm not going to. And, and, you know, it's no point saying, you know, that we have to forgive one another and that we have to have more unity in Christian identity. We have to, you know, get along better. If we don't make the effort first, you cannot wait for other people to do, to do the right thing.
You know, because you could be waiting forever. I mean, you have to do it yourself, and then hopefully, prayerfully, other people will follow your example. Exactly. Exactly. I'm glad you brought that up as well because I've said it before that the single greatest cause of atheism is usually to the unbelieving world somebody who professes to be a Christian, you know, and then turns around and denies it with their lifestyle. They, you know, they'll say, oh, well, you got to do this, you got to do that, and then they're the biggest hypocrites of all. And so that's why I believe Scripture always says that we are to lead by example. Well, speaking of hypocrites and leading by example, it brings us to our. Our old buddy Anchorage activist, a.k.a. Antichrist activist, a.k.a. Zogbuster, is up to his old tricks. He posted a, a story the other day uh, about a guy who committed suicide in jail, in, in, a, in an Alaskan jail, and he, um, he was in, the, in there for the murder of a woman, and he ended up killing himself in jail, so, you know, that's one vote for a cleaner world, I suppose. But this guy has some distant connection from his childhood, I believe, with dual seed line Christian identity. And apparently the Southern Poverty Law Centre is really trying to, you know, bring that connection to the, to the fore, you know, really highlight it to, to you know, um, to demonise all of us. And, uh, you know, Anchorage activist rightly, you know, condemns the, the SPLC's viewpoint in this article. But, but guess what he does, Jeremy? He, uh, in the article, he, he posts a link to... Um, a list of Christian identity beliefs, and guess on whose website those Christian identity beliefs are on. Oh, you don't even have to tell me. His good buddy, the oppressed, somehow or another, set up by Zog, child molester Rabbi Samuelson. So what do people... So, Jeremy, I, I, I won't put any words in your mouth. I'll ask you this. So, so let's say somebody clicks on on that link, and they go to the website, and they read all of the the posts about, you know, Jewish leader line Christian identity, our basic tenets of belief. But what are they going to do then? The chances are they're probably going to go around looking at other parts of that website. And what do you think they might read, Jeremy? Oh, you know, sky's the limit, but it would definitely probably be easily referenceable with the Talmud. Anything from feeding parents their children's testicles to prion poisoning of lakes and so forth. So that's, that's what antichrist activist does he, he, he posts this article and makes out that he's all for you know dual seed line christian identity you know people not saying terrible things about dual seed line christian identity yet he posts a link to a guy's forum upon which he's written things like he's going to skin little children alive he's going to get their parents to um you know bite off their testicles he's going to torture countless millions of wiggers and you know, crim regime criminals, as he likes to call them. So people who read this article and think, oh, you know, these people are wrong to say that about uh, dual city line Christian identity, will ultimately come away from it thinking, oh, no, they're right. The SPLC is right. Exactly. Exactly. And I pointed that out in the past. It is quite eye-opening how a, a do-nothing, you know, there's many activists out there who actually do something from even having a blog, but the ADL loves focusing on Rabbi Samuelson and saying in their report that he typifies American racism, seemingly wanting the average Quan out there to think that if they're racist, they're, they're you know, a 70 IQ, half-bearded, raging lunatic like Martin Lindsay. And, and, and I'm glad you brought that up as well because, you know, Dogbuster has been on a long promotion of Martin Lindsay when a majority of Christian identity, in fact, all of Christian identity has come out and rebuked him for exactly what he is. So it kind of makes one wonder why they would send people over to a site that wants to kill 
not the Jew, not the Negro, or not even homosexuals, but his enemies are the white man, the same exact people who are listed at the ADL. Well, Zogbuster would be more accurately called Zogbot, because here he is, he set up a, a, a website that is ostensibly pro-white, and he knows only too well that most people in white nationalism and Christian identity want nothing to do with Martin Lindstedt, yet he keeps presenting him as its public face and refuses to acknowledge Lindstedt's propensity for child torture and other atrocities. So, uh, I mean, you know, folks, by their fruits shall you know them. If people are that stupid that they can't see, you know, what, um, what uh, Anchorage activist really is, then, then you, you know, I, I can't do anything for you. You need to you put on your they live glasses is what you need to do. Uh, we got a caller on the line, Pensacola Jeff. Did you have something to say, brother? Um, I just joined in. I will probably have something to say here real shortly. Um, I haven't listened to you in about two or three weeks. And, oh, no problem. Uh, I'm just okay. real excited to uh, to be hearing you guys again. And, Obi, I apologize. Last time I, I had a bad connection, and it was just me and you. And, um, and of course, uh, Lindstedt was in the room talking bad about me he doesn't doesn't even know me but um but you 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 unmuted me and and asked who i was and i i i couldn't understand you and so that was me and i apologize for that but oh. i will have questions <laughs> <laughs> yes. no, no that's okay uh, pensacola no problem at all actually i didn't unmute you because i i don't have the ability to do that but um yes i thought i got the wrong show i thought i got into somebody else's show yeah, what happened to that show? I was really excited, and 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 it just vanished. Well, well, Jeremy had um, Jeremy had a, a virus on his computer, so he couldn't um, hook up to the to, to, to talk show that day. So um, sort of, uh, and I couldn't have even if we'd done that show, I couldn't have done the the, the following week's show because I, I had work commitments. Um, oh. So so um, in the morning, so. Um, but anyway, we're back and we're we're firing on all four cylinders. And you know, when you want to chime in, just let us know. Fantastic. Thank you. Excellent. Well, it is good also, Obadiah, to see the show growing, despite what the, uh, you know, what the enemy out there tries to perpetuate and and all this false false information. I couldn't even, you know, one of these days I might, like Eli, so eloquently write out a four or five page discourse addressing a lot of it. But again, it's exactly what you pointed out before. The way of the enemy is to get everything focused on self and I. And I hear this. You, you tune into their shows and it's always, I did this and myself, just speaking for myself and I, 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 when it really should be about Yahweh God and Jesus. Well, I thought, when I first listened to Marty's show, I thought he was Italian because he kept saying, I, 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 I. <laughs> Good point. thing about it is, uh, the thing about it is, and that's beautiful, which brings us, you know, in a, in a, in a way to the topic because, you know, uh, it, you know, if you were to actually, a lot of people out there want to talk about time machines and so forth, you know, and, and they interject. Oh, Jeremy, can I just interrupt you one second there? Please you do. You said time machines. I meant to ask you about that. You said that Logan... <laughs> you said that Logan reckons Adolf Hitler has gone into the future in a time machine. Is, it, is that true? 
Yeah, that's his new thing. Uh, apparently, yeah, I'm sure you're well aware that Shane loves going around saying that in a past life he was Adolf Hitler, which is directly contrary to the scripture, which says, you know, every, it's appointed well, well, every man. Jeremy, I must correct you there. He didn't say he was Adolf Hitler. He said he was one of, one of Adolf Hitler's closest confidants. Oh, okay. Okay, well, nonetheless, that's the new one, apparently, because... You know, the whole thing about Honey Boo Boo and the Nazis from Venus and all of this, I've tried to study it out and figure out exactly where this comes from. And the irony is, is that's where it's coming from. So, you, you know, again, folks, to the listener, you heard it here first for a limited time only. If you buy a Nissan, brand new 2013 model at Smyrna, Tennessee Nissan, we will throw in a free time machine trip to Venus where you can meet the Fuhrer himself. Now, did, did Logan say that when Hitler went in, that, that Hitler's still in the future? Is, he, is Hitler still, or has he come back? Yeah, that's the thing. According to him, they never found Hitler's body. And so because they never found Hitler's body, of course, to uh, Shane, Hitler never killed himself. There was no suicide attempt. What happened was him... Uh, according to him, uh, Eva Braun was killed, and Hitler had no choice but to hop in his time machine. And he's awaiting his faithful remnant in the future, according to uh, other people out there who claim the title Christian Identity. So this could have some rather interesting theological ramifications, because if Hitler's in the future, um, well, is he in a future where Christ is reigning, or hasn't Christ returned yet in that future? That's a good question. That I don't think has been clarified. Much like the 7,500 feet giants, but hey. Well, it was 4,500 feet, but who's counting? Counting is only 3,000 feet. But, <laughs> but, but, but I mean, if Christ, is, if Christ is in the future, that means his second coming won't be his second coming. It'll be his third coming. Yeah, exactly. Which, once again, you know, is diametrically opposed to the teachings of Scripture. So it is funny in a lot of ways because nothing surprises me anymore. Believe it or not, a year or two ago, I thought some of this stuff would be pretty transparent. But, you know, there's one or two geeks out there maybe. I like to say that, but for the most part, they're probably sock puppets because the majority of them don't listen to them because it's so far-fetched. And it is interesting, just like you pointed out, how the ADL, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and even Anchorage activists love focusing on the weak and propping them up as some type of Christian identist when these people have done nothing. I mean, you know, even, even News Guy and the guys on that show wouldn't present Martin Linstead as the public face of Christian identity. I mean, even those guys who aren't Christian identists know full well that he's not, you know, doesn't really have anything to do with Christian identity. Yeah, that's the thing. Is I don't really believe that the insane, like I've said this before, really knows the the level of, you know, how they are. It's just like the scumbag who goes into a bar hitting on a woman. He thinks he's God's gift to all women, but in reality, the woman he's hitting on sees him as a complete and utter scumbag, and that's what usually happens. I think a lot of people say, well, you, why is Obadiah and, and, and Visser giving you know Marty such publicity? Because, I mean, statistically, they've never even heard of them if they're listening to us. And then they go over and listen to them, and the sane really can't understand that. That's the whole point. It's an entirely different language. A normal person doesn't know what an Obagender's Pid, Bender, Bender, Fooster, Pooster, or Pooster Possum is. <laughs> yes. It's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? Yeah, I can't um, even say it. Now, uh, I owe everyone an apology. I was going to um, do a, uh, a segment t- tonight on um, the Jews and Celts down under and just what, just the, you know, the 
stark contrast between the actions of one race and the actions of another. But uh, I'll have, we'll have to hold that over until next week's show because I, I stayed up till the wee hours last, last night finishing off the, the first chapter of my book uh, so, and, and posted it. So, so I, we won't be able to do that today, but we'll, we'll do it next week. So, Jeremy, if you could call the show next week, if it's okay, Celts and Jews Down Under. Okay. And we'll look at just, just what a difference um, Celtic convicts make and um, Jews make to, to, to a country. It is so named. And, because a lot of a lot of um, focus on what the Jews do, of course, is on, on what they do in um, in America and Australia. But we're going to look at what they do in, in smaller countries, in particular Australia, and just see that the things that they do in America and Europe are pretty much the same things they do in Australia. It doesn't matter, and and the same go goes with our people. Even if our people are you know you know are, are Irish convicts, they still make great nations. So we're just going to see that stark contrast between the two different races, the seed of Yahweh and the seed of Satan, here down under, of course. Yeah, it should also be pointed out as well, I believe this week it was that the ADL came out, and you briefly mentioned it about this uh, killer, I guess they caught him in Canada, who killed his girlfriend or killed some woman, and they're they're trying to loosely say, oh, somewhere down the road, you know, he had dual seed line Christian identity ties. And that really reminds me of exactly what happened during the uh, Oklahoma City bombing, because when all that went down, they were spending a lot of time trying to tie Timothy McVeigh into America's Promised Ministries and, and, and Dave Barley's church. And I think... The reality of it was is Tim McVeigh may have went to his church one time, maybe twice, but the, the Jew loves turning around and making all of Christian identity accountable for the actions of one, whether it's Martin Lindsay or whether it's a serial killer out here. And, and some of these people probably voted Democrat, but they don't turn around and, and say, oh, this person had involvement you know, with the Democrats, therefore all Democrats are you know, uh, slavering monsters who want to go around blowing up people and um, you know, slaughtering the innocent. Yeah, and that's the thing. And I think Eli put it, you know, for lack of a better term, the enemy either wants you in their lie or they want you dead. Because he brought up an extremely valuable point, I believe, on last night's show, and that is this. Just like with Paul on the road to Damascus, nine times out of ten, the Jew, the enemy, will leave you alone as long as you're in the lie, as long as you're espousing the Jews are God's chosen or that Judeo-Christianity is the truth. You know, you don't really see their true face. But a lot of times when you come to the realization that Scripture teach different, teaches differently than what man teaches, then suddenly all the masks come off and there's no more false pretenses, no more false facades anymore. Well, exactly. Uh, I mean, once you're exposed to the Jew, they're going to target you and go for you. They're either going to, you know, um, put you in a situation where you, you know, you'll be in jail or e even kill you. Uh, it'll get to the point where they'll just be, um, you know, they'll be just, perhaps they themselves won't be going around doing most of the killings, but they'll certainly be getting non-whites to do it. And we, we're already seeing that already. Where the racial war has begun. It hasn't been um, openly declared yet, but um, we're, we're certainly in the the early stages of it, aren't we? Yeah, and I think it should be pointed out as well that while I've been doing this well over a decade, 
you know, when it really comes down to where the rubber meets the road, most of the problems I've had don't come from the Jew. They don't come from the Negro. And in fact, most Negroes, you know, well, I won't say most, but I've met Negroes here in, in the state of Georgia who are well aware of the Jewish problem and are totally against race mixing. But it is ironic when it's all said and done that the ones out there trying to publish your uh, phone number and your address to the Internet, albeit unsuccessfully, are supposedly supposed to be white people. So when, when the scripture says Christ came unto his own and his own received him not, or a, uh, a brother is born for adversity and a friend loveth at all times, it really goes to show how true the scripture is. Yes, that's very true. And, uh, you know, blacks, uh, I was reading the, some of the history of um, America prior to the, uh, the 20th century history, prior to uh, the civil rights movement in the 60s and the late 50s. And um, they said that blacks really, you know, black crime really wasn't a major issue. It was only until blacks were, were told about how terrible whites were and how much, you know, whites owed them that they really became a, a major problem. So much of what, I mean, blacks certainly shouldn't be, don't see this, folks, as my condoning, you know, blacks being in our society. You know, they need to be in their own lands, not, not with us at all, under any circumstances. But um, they certainly weren't, you know, the, you, you know as bad as, as they used to be, certainly in America, you know, before the, the civil rights movement. It was through Jewish propaganda that they really became a major problem. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it never ceases to amaze me how exactly that. The the betrayal of David came from, at least in his, his opinion, his best friend Nathan. And so also did it come with Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ was betrayed by Judas, one of the twelve. And so all the time throughout Scripture where Christ is saying, judge a tree according to their fruit, don't do, you know, don't necessarily believe what a person says with their mouth, but judge them according to their fruits. That's the reason why, because the one who's usually sitting there supping with you, the one who's claiming to believe the same God you do, is usually the one who's out there trying to make it difficult for you. Like I said, the ADL's never written a report on me. They have me listed in their Southern Poverty Law Center map, you know, and that's pretty much the extent of it because I haven't given them any information or done any crimes to allow them to write anything on me. But lo and behold, here's this one little group of two you know, people out there claiming to be CI who are spending all their time trying to dig up information on me, and all they're doing is giving that information to the ADL. So be that as it may, I'm not worried. I still sleep with my doors unlocked. But it does go to show how when a man gives his nuts, his testicles, and all his time over to somebody else, he truly has no life of his own. Well, I have to laugh at Marty. He's forever saying that I'm a data miner. I've never mined anyone's data. I don't pinch people's IP addresses, and I wouldn't even give out Marty's, I don't think, because if I did, then other people would see me as a snitch, so it's just, you know, it wouldn't be worth it. Um, yeah, exactly. So, so you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't mind people's data at all, and if, you know, if Marty thinks I'm a data miner, just show me one person whose data I've mined, I haven't done anything, yet whenever Marty talks about me, it's always about how he wants to get a hold of my personal information, he wants a photo, he wants this, he wants that, I mean, the guy's the biggest data miner of them all. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, that's the whole thing of it. I think it's pretty transparent where a lot of these guys wear their faithlessness on their sleeve. That's one such example because who's worried about someone having your ISP? Anywhere you go on the Internet, your ISP is recorded. What can somebody do with your ISP? Nothing. So to the pneumonians and the nimbusters who are listening, who are sitting there worried about Stan and worried about Lloyd Davies and everybody else who might be harvesting an ISP, so what? What can anybody do with an ISP anyway, and what, is, what illegal is somebody doing that they need to be afraid of? 
you know, make no bones about it. The government knows all our ISPs and they know, you know, what types we like checking out. Um, so, so if you're, you're constantly visiting, you know, politically incorrect sites, you know, like the Christian Identity Forum and CovenantPeoplesMinistry.org, then, um, you, you know, the government's going to know about that. Uh, you know, maybe you, you might be a really tiny blip on their radar, but they have all that information. So pretending that it's otherwise is just naive. Yeah, exactly, because in this day and age, any 12-year-old with a cell phone is really literally able to pretty much kind of find out who you are, what you're from, at least if they have your, your Christian name, and it just goes to show exactly that. What do we have to fear? You know, nothing. That's the whole point. You will be a domestic terrorist even if you go to the, uh, you know, Stormfront one time somewhere out there because the government ha now has the ability and has for some time the, the ability to listen to people on their cell phone even with it turned off. So, we, you know, it's kind of foolish to sit there and worry about, oh, they might know where I'm going on the web page or on the, on the Internet. Well, that's on to you to cover your tracks if you're going to places that you shouldn't be. Um. Exactly, but um, you know, Stormfront. I wouldn't, rec to be honest, I wouldn't recommend anyone go to Stormfront or VNN. Well, if you're going to go, use an, anon an anonymous proxy, and, and don't become a member there. Because I mean, how many people have got into trouble by making posts on Stormfront and on VNN? Yeah, exactly. That's the thing, you know, in this day and age. And I've tried to tell people this. You know, don't think for a minute. I see people come to Stormfront and say, oh, I want my account deleted. They do it at VNN as well. But it doesn't matter if they delete your account at Stormfront or VNN. What I'm saying is don't think for a minute that your post isn't there forever. Anything you post on the Internet or a Pneumonian post up there is literally archived and is there forever. So, you know, if we're doing the right thing and we're doing it Yahweh's way, we really don't have anything to fear. Exactly. And, and you know, never threaten somebody online. You know, if, you, if you're so, you know, keen on, you know, fighting somebody, meet them in real life and say, hey, you, let's go for it and start throwing fists, you know. Uh, just don't do that to any political figure or someone who could get you into trouble for um, getting into a fight with them. But, but uh, you know, I'm not a big advocate of violence unless it's, um, you know, um, righteous violence advocated by Yahweh. People can take that as they, they will. But... Um, yeah, if, if you're going to post, even if you're, you're not going to make threats, but you're posting in a, a thread where somebody is making threats, I mean, you're, you're, you sort of become a, an accomplice after the fact, don't you? I mean, the government's going to say, even if you're not advocating violence, the fact that you've posted in that, in that thread and you haven't said anything about the person who may be advocating violence could be a problem, a legal problem for you down, down the track. Yeah, exactly. And in that statement, I'm reminded of Hal Turner, you know, because I was on the Turner Radio Network, and most of us remember when Hal Turner went down, but a lot of us forget what Hal Turner was paid to do by the FBI. And now that he has his lawsuit, you know, there's no debating whether the fact that he was an agent provocateur or not. So Hal Turner's job, if it, for lack of a better term, at least paid by the government, was to provoke people to violence and it should be pointed out that most people especially within christian identity who come along and advocate violence against other people albeit other races you know aside they, they should already be considered suspect because point in case i know if i were to go out and say half the things that a lot of these people do i'd be going to jail tomorrow yes exactly well a lot of people in um, white nationalism advocate violence towards other right members of other races um i don't advocate that at all unless of course you know you're you're in it you know they're threatening you you know they're about to you know clobber you or something 
But um, I don't hate the other races, to be honest, Jeremy. I've worked with some people of, you know, various skin colours over the years, and some of them have been the nicest people I've ever met. I worked at one place where at least two-thirds of the people there were non-white, non-whites, and some of the non-whites were, were the loveliest people there, friendliest and most helpful, and some of the whites were absolute scumbags. But the fact remains is that the white people are my people, and they're the people I've been told to minister according to Yahweh, and his word trumps my opinions of people. You know, whether I like someone or not, you know, if I'm supposed to you know, minister to those people and no one else, they're the people I'm going to minister, even if I feel that they're undeserving of it, even if, you know, you know I, if I had my way, I, I'd rather, you know, give a blessing to the non-white who's been kind to me than the white who's been, you know, an absolute scumbag. I have to do things Yahweh's way. Yeah, that's a good point. And as we've pointed out before how, you know, all Israel saved or the whole controversy that surrounds that statement, it's really not hard, hard to understand when you understand that you have to be an Israelite, at least on a spiritual level, to be saved. And on the same token, so also are there so many niggers that are considered to be white, Anglo-Saxon, Scandinavian, and Germanic kindred people. Now, most people out there call them Uyghurs, but as I've stated, most of these people that have given me problems over the years, it's not the Jew, it's not the Muslims, it's these so-called white people Uyghurs who think they're doing the Lord's work by throwing you under the bus. Yeah, exactly. I mean, whites tend to be the most problematic of all, and Jews wouldn't have any of the power that they have if it wasn't for the white traitors amongst us, the white sellouts. But nevertheless, I mean, even though non-whites can be, some non-whites anyway, can be very nice and very helpful, the fact is they're not our people, they don't belong in our country, and we certainly shouldn't be breaking bread with them and mating with them. But um, that doesn't mean that we should, you know, be going all out to kill them. Or, you know, if I walk down the street and I see a black guy, I don't go, hey, nigger, or, you know, if I see a Chinese person, I don't go, hey, chink. I mean, what would be the point of that? I mean, it accomplishes nothing. The Bible says, you know, Christ came but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and that's where we should be um, devoting all our energies, even if we, you know, most of the time we can't stand a hell of, hell of a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the interesting thing, you know, is, is Christian identity as a whole, you know, it is coming to an ungrateful lot. And this is something that I've dealt with in the past as well, where, you know, after a while you get to where you're like, look, I don't have to share my opinions with the world. I don't have to jeopardize my children's safety and everything to do this for free, you know. And that's the whole thing about it is the enemy loves focusing in on these particular types of people because they know it denigrates it. And I felt, I mean, I've dealt with that from my own family. I've had in-laws and stuff come and, and I've had to set them straight and say, look, no, Rabbi Samuelson is not Christian identity. He's a confirmed and convicted child molester, you know. And then when you really get to that point, they go, oh, okay, I see, I understand. Now I just know he's another lunatic. And I've said this before, one great thing about the Internet is this, that it gives the people their power. At least for the time being, it gives the average man and the average Joe the ability to pick up a phone or whatever, and even through venues like this, talk to you, give them a soapbox where they can be heard. But the uh, opposite side of that and the side effect of that is so also does every nut bar in a group home or a halfway house think they have the right to do it as well. So as the truth is out there, so also is twice as many lies. Amen. Yeah, that's a trouble, isn't it? Because um, years ago, the only way you could, um, you know, hear your voice publicly is through the radio or on TV. But now you can do it all across the world. Um, you know, on on talk show, you know, for free. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it really is open. 
that you always, you know, through the FCC or whatever else alphabet soup group they've had, has always tried to monitor and control the airwaves. And so it should be pointed out that Jesus Christ stated Satan was the prince and the power of the air, and, and that's his domain in a lot of ways. And, you know, it ties perfectly into what you were just saying, which is, you know, when Christ explains his parable of the tares and the wheat, he clearly says that God returns at the end and sends his angels. As I've taught, you know, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and all the minor prophets, they all say the same exact thing. So for people out there who are waiting for the great tribulation because they think somehow or another this is going to give them an open license to pick up a gun and harm people that they deem their enemy, I hate to break it to them, but there's simply no place in Scripture for that. In the end, every knee bows, that's it. Man does not have the ability to violate any of the Ten Commandments. Most assuredly, thou shalt not kill. Besides, in the great, tribu- in the great tribulation, uh, Jeremy, um, you don't have to go looking for trouble. It's going to come looking for you. I mean, it's going to be, you know, waiting for you outside your, your doorstep and probably breaking into your home, you know, more often than not. So, um, you know, you don't have to go looking for people to fight and, uh, you, know, get, you know, get into strife with because um, they'll be there. You know, you won't have to go looking for them. It'll, all of the trouble will be automatic, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. And I think when that time comes, a lot of these guys who are saying, hey, I stockpile weapons and food, which is a good idea in the first place, are going to kind of be surprised to realize that the, this war is fought in the spiritual realm. And if Yahweh be for us, who can really be against us? That's the whole teaching of it, that one with Yahweh is the majority. So it's better to have your, your spiritual side right with God than to have enough ammunition and guns to make it through a so-called apocalypse. Well, that brings us to our, uh, our main topic tonight, a present help in time of trouble. We'll, we'll look at Bride of the Monster shortly. Oh, by the way, did you see my... Um, have you got the link to that um, that video of... Yes, Bella? indeed, and I have the audio right here whenever you're ready for it. Okay, well, we'll do our main topic first, and we'll do that later on. That'll be a, that'll be a dessert. This will be the main course. Excellent. Okay, and, and our main topic for tonight is a present help in time of trouble. You know, just how, um, you know... I've seen this in my life, especially this past year, Jeremy, how just Yahweh's got me out of so many difficulties, especially financial ones, you know, where I've only had $2 one day and I didn't know where my next, you know, dollar was going to come from. If if one was going to come at all, and the next day I had a, a couple of thousand, you know, um, I, I had plenty. So um, we really we really need to focus on just a wonderful uh, and present. And when the Bible says he's a present help in time of trouble, Yahweh is an omnipresent help in time of times of trouble. He, he goes one better than that. By omnipresent, of course, that means that he's everywhere at all times. You know, how he can do that is totally beyond my com- comprehension, but, you know, the fact that Yahweh's always existed and there's never been any beginning to, any, to him, uh, you know, well, that's beyond my co- comprehension too. But so today I thought we'd look at a present help in time of trouble, Jeremy, and there must be some instances in your life, you know, being a, a father of, is it six kids now? <laughs> I lost count, man. Could be six, could oh. be seven. No, I'm kidding. It's five. Uh, five is the number of grace, so hopefully that's the last one for me. All right, okay. I wasn't sure if it was five or six, so it's five. Actually, uh, a question I should ask you, Jeremy. This is out of curiosity. I don't want you to give give away your maker car or anything like that or a registration number. But um, do you – What I mean – with, with your five kids and, and your, you and your wife, that's seven people. So what sort of a car do you drive around in? How do you Pretty, get them from point A? How do you get all the Visa family from point A to point B? 
Well, yeah, I'm glad you actually asked that because it's a form of poetical justice in a way, I think, you know, and maybe recomp- or, or penance on my part for slandering Marty over the last five years or so, even, you know, myself. And I think that's what it is. To answer that question, we drive the same exact bus that Marty had to take to school when he was a kid, and that is the small Twinkie bus. Mm-hmm. Here in America, uh, you know, I don't know how it is in Australia, but here in America, for the most part, if you go to public school, you ride a normal-sized bus. It's the big orange school bus. But for the kids who are in special ed and the kids who have developmental problems or ADD, they ride the little half bus. That's what we used to call the Twinkie back in the day. So that's pretty much what we need. All right. I was was wondering what you meant by Twinkie bus. I thought, what does that mean? Yeah, Twinkie Uh, bus. (laughs) All right. If it's yeah, not we a dog van, have... we can't fit them in a regular compact car, that's for sure. And it, it makes things pretty difficult to go seven of us out, you know, on the town, but we managed to do it. Well, well a school bus is quite a, a fixture of American society, isn't it? Whenever you see one of these movies set in a high school, you always see the school bus. And, you know, the nerds are always getting picked on by the, you know, the, the jocks at the back of the bus. But um, we don't really have a school bus system here in Australia, except maybe in some of the more remote, the remoter areas, the country areas, people just use the regular bus that everyone uses, you know. I mean, I, I could hop on a bus and there'll be students and, you know, old people and, you know, just a, just a mix of people on it. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, when you get a large family, it gets harder and harder. And, and I'm glad that this tonight's topic is what it is because, you know, I have a lot I could discuss about this, how God does open doors and God will put you in the realms that you need and so the average white guy out there who may be in his early 20s thinking about settling down how am i going to afford to have children well i mean here's an inside tip for you you can never afford to have children you can't afford one much less five but if you have your faith in yahweh god god will provide a way you know yes it's so true isn't it Uh, i mean you know the bible talks about not you know, limiting God, not putting a mark on him, not saying that, you know, God can do this, but, you know, he can't do, do that, you know, he is, you know, he can only go so far, you know, well, there, there is no limits or any constraints, physical, spiritual or mental upon Yahweh. Uh, I mean, there are cons- such constraints upon us, of course, because we live, uh, you know, finite lives in a, 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 a finite world. But, um, you know, he, he is above all that. And the Bible talks about, you know, the Bible says nothing is impossible for God. So if nothing is impossible for God and, uh, you know, we, we must put faith in Yahweh to, um, you know, um, actuate that um, nothing is impossible aspect of the scriptures and all the promises that go along with it, then it's important for us to believe that nothing is impossible for, for God and to have confidence that nothing is impossible for God, especially in the tough times we're heading in, into. Because it, even now, you know, most of us live fairly, you know, comfortable life, lifestyles, you know, I live a fairly comfortable lifestyle you know I have heating I have uh, well I don't have cooling anymore my, my, I switched on my um, during that mega hot um, day we had the other week I switched on the my fan cooler my water cooler and that had given up the go so um, yeah, so much for that idea but um, you know we, we have plenty of food in our larders you know we have drinks in our fridge we can sit down and watch TV or listen to something on the radio so life is going reasonably well for us but there, there will come a time when perhaps we won't have electricity we won't have any of these luxuries. We certainly won't be able to go to the to Safeway and, you know, buy a trolley load full of food. And even if we if we could, you know, probably the cost of doing so would be so expensive. You know, the petrol to get there and, uh, you know, the cost of the food itself, it, it just 
you know, be too prohibitive for us to do. So we're really going to have to learn and start doing it now, not wait until things are really bad to put our trust in Yahweh, to you know, familiarise ourselves with scriptures that talk about how he is our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, how he's a present help in times of trouble. Uh, I'll read that scripture actually out, seeing it's the time for it's, um, you know, the title of our topic today. It's from Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And, you know, we've got to have faith in that, folks. We need to familiarise ourselves with these scriptures and, you know, keep them about our necks, you know, write them upon the tablets of our heart, as the scripture says, you know, post them, you know, sticky tape them to our walls, you know, as a constant reminder and, you know, take a little Bible around us wherever we go. I used to have one of those um, Gideon New Testaments, Jeremy, that I got handed to me in um, my first year of high school back in 1972. And, um, the thing I liked about the Gideon's New Testament is not only did it have the New Testament in it, but it also had the Psalms. So I could go around, the Psalms is easily my favourite book in the Bible, and I could, you know, go around, you know, if I was, you know, in a bad situation, or even if things were really good, I could go to the Psalms and just, you know, just rejoice over Yahweh's promises, you know, waiting for their fulfilment in my life or rejoicing over their fulfilment. So it's so important that, um, you know, we get into Yahweh's word, we familiarise ourselves with these things, these promises which are written to us. I mean, we are his people. He has promised, promised these things to us. And the Bible says, um, I forget where the verse is, but it says to remind Yahweh of his promises, to remind Yahweh of his word. And you might ask yourself, why does Yahweh need to be reminded of his word? Well, he doesn't. He's fully, you know, you know he's fully uh, aware of what, what he said, you know, what's in the scripture, but he wants us to remind him of his word. So we, the word will become ingrained on us and we'll be confident when we go to him in prayer and you know, knowing that you know, what we're praying for has been promised to us by, by him and if we have faith in it, if we believe that he's going to pull us through in times of trouble, he's going to deliver us, he's going to be our rock, our fortress, then he, he, he will, you know, we'll see that fulfillment in our lives. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up as well because it does say Yahweh is our fortress in times of trouble. That's not necessarily when we go out and we make a mess of our lives per se, you know, because I think that's the propensity of mankind when they get in trouble or when they go and rob a bank or get busted for statutory sodomy. Then the first thing they do when they end up finding themselves in the mess they're in is, is turn to God and that's why it's perfect that you brought that up. The law and the word wasn't written for God. It was written for us. And the reason he says to remind them is to basically put you on check and see if you're familiar with it. That is, for lack of a better term, the Christian identist comeuppance with Yahweh God is knowing the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that our power lies within that. Well, the Bible says, uh, thy word is a light to my feet, and I, sorry, I'll a light to my path and a lamp unto my feet. I think I've got that right. But anyway, I'm sure you know the scripture I mean. The Bible, it's so important, the word. Uh, I mean, the Bible says, in the beginning there was the word, and the word was God, and the word was made flesh. And the Bible says that Yahweh places his word above his very name. So his word is even more important than his reputation. And his reputation is very important to him. But he places his word above everything. And if we're not familiar with his word, if we, we, we can't you know, recite important verses you know, that um, cover a particular situation when we're in dire straits, and, you know, we're going to stay in dire straits. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's the reason why I believe you and I, over the course of this show, have spent so much time emphasizing the importance of, of prayer and faith, because prayer is one of those things that increases faith, and not only that, it helps keep us in his word, and, you know, so we know the word. 
what, what I'm saying is I believe a lot of people out there, especially in times of blessings when you know things are good, like they are today. They forget and turn their back on Yahweh God. And for point in case, you're right. The average American today, even Marty, who lives on Rabbit Track Road in Granby and Squalor, truly does live better than King James did in the 1600s. And that's with the added benefit of having central heating and air, electricity, light, shower, hot, hot and cold running water. But, you know, I think a lot of us tend to be upset with our lot in life. You hear about people going out and killing themselves, the rich people, oh, life's too hard to deal with. In a lot of ways, that's a self-correcting flaw in our race because, in a way, God has it designed. What I'm saying is he has it designed to where if we stay in his word and we pray, he will increase our faith, he will increase our knowledge, but it still comes back on the backs and the shoulders of the believer to do. Well, I'll never forget something our Pastor Pete Peters said. He said, how important it is to thank Yahweh for the blessings in your life. And he said he thanked Yahweh for the fact that he had a bed. He could sleep in a comfortable bed every night. And how often do we take things like that for granted? And we're always sort of approaching Yahweh from the standpoint that, um, you know, can I have more Yahweh? You know, I don't have this in my life. Can I have this? Can I have that? But, you know, more often than not, we don't thank him for the things we have. You know, I'm grateful that I live in a comfortable place. I'm grateful I can sit in a comfortable chair and um, I, I can cook a nice meal. I'm, I'm, you know, I've got a roof over my head. I sleep in a beautiful bed. I mean, sleep is one of my favourite hobbies. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm thankful that I've got a computer. If it's a crappy old computer, I'm thankful that I have it. I can get onto the internet. I'm thankful, I'm thankful that I've got a phone and I can afford to use it. You know, it's interesting. When, when, Christ, when, they, when they gave Christ the, um, the loaves and the fishes, you know, the, the, he didn't have many loaves and the fishes, but what did he do when, when, when he had the loaves and fishes? He didn't say, oh, look, this isn't enough, Yahweh, this isn't enough. Why well, can't we have a bit more? No, what he did was he took them and he looked to heaven and he thanked Yahweh for what he had and then he got more. So the secret, folks, if you want to see more in your life, start thanking Yahweh for what he's given you now. Start thanking Yahweh that you're alive, that you're aware of Yahweh. I mean, you know... The very fact that Yahweh's revealed himself to us and filled us with his spirit, and if we're faithful to him, you know, I'm confident that we'll, we'll be there on that great and wonderful day. You know, um, you know, we will live forever. I mean, you know, the, the, and live the most wonderful life imaginable. So that just by itself, you know, excluding everything else is something you can never stop praising Yahweh for. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that to me is kind of funny. You know, the whole Richie, poor me mentality that a lot of people have. Really, if we can't wake up every morning and be glad that our lungs are still working and we can breathe, it kind of goes to show how ungrateful we are. And, and, and so to me, it sheds light on the Old Testament narrative where it says, it grieved Yahweh at his heart for creating man because the thoughts of men were wicked and evil continually. And so mankind has the propensity to go out and engage in evil and darkness because that's what they're drawn to. And at the same time, while they do that, while they abuse their body with drugs or, or alcohol or whatever it is, or while they abuse their bodies with mankind, then they turn around and they really wonder why they got a DUI or why they got you know, an STD or something. And nine times out of ten, they, they blame God when it's not God's fault, it's their own fault. Well, well, that's exactly right. I, I, I mean, we are our own worst enemy, aren't we? You know, we've seen the enemy and the enemy is us. And there's another saying, you know, what's wrong with the world? I'm wrong with the world. You know, pretty much the, the problems we have in our lives, you know, 99.999% of the times are things that we, we've caused ourselves. And they're not, you know, something that other people have done to us or Yahweh's done to us. It's simply our own stupidity 
But, um, you know, the Bible says that praise is a sacrifice that really pleases Yahweh. When we just get down, just you know, devote some time to Yahweh, just praise him, you know. Um, and if you're looking for things to Yahweh, just look in the Psalms. I mean, there are so many praise Yahweh about, or just one of the Psalms and just praising Yahweh afterwards. Spend some time with Yahweh and don't just leave leave your time with Yahweh until the tail end of the day when you're sort of, you know, a bit out of, bit out of it, either because, you, you know, you've been drinking a bit or perhaps you're just so dog-tied that, you know, you only say a few, you know, I love you, Yahweh, praise Yahweh, you know, the end, I'm going to hop into bed. Now, you want to give, you know, you want to give Yahweh your first fruit fruits. You want to give Yahweh the best time of your day when, you, when, when you're the most alert and you're the most, you know, when, when you can praise him, you know, as as, as robustly as you possibly can. Don't don't leave praising Yahweh till, till you know, just before bedtime. You know, give Yahweh the, the first fruits of your time. Yeah, exactly. And it stands to reason because it truly is common sense, the understanding that, you know, the jailhouse Christian or the jailhouse prophet usually won't be heard by Yahweh. If we really want to have come up with him and have a relationship with him, then we should have that relationship out of the jail system, out of wartime and so forth. And then everything else is truly added to us. So what I'm saying is a lot of us don't realize that if we really do make that quote-unquote sacrifice on our time to praise him in the morning when we rise and to praise him at night, to really praise God, that alone will save us a lot of hardships, I believe, down here, because many of us need to wake up in the gutter to be able to realize God is real. Well, one of the reasons that um, King David was was the apple of Yahweh's eye was because he, he got into the habit of prayer. He would... I mean, he made some stupid mistakes and, you know, outright sins. David did. Um, you know, we've gone into them in the past. We won't get into them right now. But um, uh, the, the thing that really strikes me about David is how often he would pray. The Bible, he, he wrote that, you know, evening and morning and noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. So David just didn't, you know, just give a quick prayer to Yahweh in the morning or before he hopped into bed of a night. He, it was, you know, he made it a regular thing. You know, he made a point of it throughout the day. To, to maintain that spiritual contact with Yahweh, and he saw the you know the miraculous hand of Yahweh in his life, you know, with deliverance and you know healing and things like that. I mean, there, how many psalms of you know thanks for Yahweh's deliverance, for being a present help to him in time of trouble? Do we read in the in the Book of Psalms, Jeremy? That of course most of which were, were written by King David. Yeah, exactly. And so it stands to reason while Peter and Paul prayed all the time, at least in the Book of Acts, every time they get arrested. My opinion is the reason God sent the angels to free them from the prison was the fact that they were disciples, that they did discipline themselves in the commands of Jesus Christ and did exactly what they were supposed to. The average person out there who says, you know, like we hear so much, if God is real, then he'll prove himself to me. God, nine times out of ten, most likely will not show himself to that person, you know, because he doesn't know them. And when, when they were delivered from the jail by, by the angel... Um, it, 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 uh, scripture writes about um, how um, people were praying for them non-stop. So it's important that we pray for one another. We don't just, you know, have our our own needs, our own interests, you know, uh, as the primary focus of our um, prayer time. I mean, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray for ourselves. Uh, I mean, we certainly should. If you have a need, you should put it to Yahweh. I mean, you know, um, he's our your loving Heavenly Father. He wants to meet your needs, you know, grant your heart's desires. But if, you know, it, it, I, I always make it a point to have at least one or two prayers for other people um, before I pray for myself, you know, and uh, there are people I pray for regularly. I mean, people in South Africa I pray about. I pray um, Psalm 18, 2, 3, 
over them, which I'll read out now. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. So, um, you know, I, I, I do my own sort of little variation of that, adding a few other little scriptures to it here and there. You know, when I pray for people in South Africa, and I'm not saying that to make myself out to be some great spiritual, you know, paragon of Christian virtue or anything. But, but the, th- the thing is, when you start praying for other people, Jeremy, I've found um, is that you really get into it. You really enjoy it and you really become, become interested in their needs and to see the fulfillment of Yahweh's promises in their lives, not only yours, but theirs. And it really helps to develop that love for one another, that concern for one another. Because if, if all we're doing is only praying for ourselves and just worrying about our own needs, then we're really not, you know, um, we're not doing things as Yahweh would have us to do them. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up intercessory prayer as well, because the whole concept of Jesus Christ teaching, love thy enemies, you know, I think a lot of people miss that because they think that Christ is saying you should, you should pray only good things a lot of times. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying that we should pray for our enemies, but a lot of times our enemies, like Rabbi Samuelson, wouldn't like to hear what, praise, what prayers we pray. You know what I'm saying? Oh, exactly. I mean, imprecatory prayers are good things, things to pray. You know, I, um, I've prayed a few imprecatory prayers that have been named towards, you know, 338 Rabbit Track Road. And as I like to say, Marty says that the imprecatory prayers haven't worked, and I say that they have because every morning he wakes up as himself. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, if you have to hose off your elephant, man, I don't consider that person very blessed, but that's a side story. Now, now we're talking about a, a present help in time of trouble. Now, there, there are quite a number of different names for Yahweh in the Bible, Jeremy. One of them is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And, uh, oh boy, haven't I seen the fulfillment? And I, I've lost count of the number of times I've seen his um, you know, miraculous provision in my life, you know, when I, I've done something stupid and got myself into a mess and, you know, had to turn to Yahweh, and Yahweh's got me out of it every single time, you know, without fail. Um, another, name for, another name for Yahweh in the Bible, and, and I might mispronounce this, is Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord who is present, a present help in time of trouble, an omnipresent time in, help, in time of trouble. Um, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Shalom isn't a Jewish word, it's a Hebrew word. So Jehovah Shalom, the, the Lord is peace. And here's one, and I'll, I'll definitely mispronounce this, it's Jehovah Gamola, it's G-M-O-L-A-H. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but how, pronounce it, but however you pronounce it, the Lord of Recompense. So um, I, I suppose you could take that two ways. The Lord will recompense us for the work we do for him and he will recompense our enemies for the things they do to us. Yeah, exactly. And he has so many names, you know, that's a really good point as well because people miss the feminine name, El Shaddai or Adonai. They miss the aspect that just like many names in the Bible, Jesus Christ included, or many of the Old Testament prophets, most people's names in the Bible mean something. And so, you know, when Yahshua means Yahweh's deliverer and so forth, you know, that goes to show. And that's the whole point. The enemy will be out there. The, the enemy will detract us. And a lot of times I don't think the enemy even realizes they're cursed in this life and that's the thing a lot of the people who've come against me i they're gone now that's the whole that's the whole thing i'm not saying i'm something special but i'm saying that when we pray and we pray in faith god usually will take care of it or he'll allow the enemy to put you know so much rope that they'll eventually put their foot in their mouth 
Well, you're talking about how um, people's names mean things in the Bible. It's a shame that we've lost the the meaning of our names, or we don't know the meaning of our names. That's something I actually met, I, I touch on in the first chapter of the, the book I've just posted online. Um, and you can get the first chapter of that book, folks, if I can just give a quick plug here on the ChristianIdentityForum.net um, in the general discussion forum and, and also in the Christian Re- Identity Reading Room. I, I, I posted it twice, Jeremy, like, that, like Marty did with that... Um, thread about Alex Linder's backside <laughs> and you can also get it on your forum um, uh, oh, what is the exact URL of your forum sorry Jeremy I've forgotten it it is uh, covenantpeoplesministry.org forward slash forum oh right I wasn't sure if it was covenantpeoplesministryforum.org or oh, yeah anyway and, and you can also get that on the Christian Identity blog so there's a plug and um, I've forgotten what I was going to say now what were we talking about Oh, yes, names. Names. I beg your, I beg your pardon. Um, when Yahweh changed Abraham's name to Abraham, he, he began to be called the father of many nations. So when people would say, hello, Abraham, they'd say, hello, father of many nations. And over the course of a couple of decades, he heard this to, until it got to the point where the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Yahweh. So in one sense, he was hear, constantly hearing the word of Yahweh, the promise, you know, that he would be father of many, many nations whenever anyone said his name. So that must have been a, an incredible boost to his faith over the years. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I think a lot of people don't even realize what they're saying when they say certain Hebrew or Aramaic terms like hallelujah. You know, they'll say it so flippantly, but never understanding that it means praise be to Yahweh, you know. Well, we're talking about um, how Yahweh is a present help in time of trouble for anyone who's just uh, listened in. And um, uh, it's important that we really start, you know, we, we pre- a, a lot of our people are preparing themselves for, for you know, when, when hard times really start hitting us, you know, like in the way of, you know, stocking up on ammo and food and, um, you know, medical supplies and that. But we need to also stock up on our spiritual supplies now and really getting. In, in touch with Yahweh's word and in touch with him through prayer and praise so that, you know, when, when things really get bad, bad, not only will, will we be prepared in a practical sense, but also in a spiritual sense, you know, and uh, the spiritual side is really more important than the practical ultimately because, you know, when things really get bad, you know, maybe those supplies are going to run out and those, uh, you know, those, those weapons, uh, you know, uh, those bullets are going to run out and, you know, we're really going to have to rely on Yahweh on a daily basis just to stay alive. So we, we can't wait until, you know, bad times befall us and, until we, you know, start really, you know, building up our, our spiritual muscles. We need to do it now. We need to prepare ourselves spiritually now as well as, you know, practically. So we need to get into Yahweh's word, acquaint ourselves with his promises, especially the ones in Psalms. I mean, the great thing about the book of Psalms, Jeremy, of course, is that um, it, it's kind of a be, be, been there, done that book. You know, it was... It was it was um, David, more often than not, speaking after the fact. He was, you know, praising Yahweh after Yahweh had, um, you know, um, delivered him from the, the hands of the enemies. And he had many enemies. And, of course, sometimes, you know, he would praise Yahweh before the fact. But, but the, the things that he was praising, praising uh, Yahweh for were things that he'd been through. So it was kind of like a diary of, of, of what he'd been through during his tenure as a, as, as a king. And all the problems he had, but yet Yahweh brought him out of all of them. And that's why Psalms is such a wonderful thing, because it kind of relates to us. Well, it does relate relate to us in our, in our present circumstances, and certainly in our future circumstances. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's the only way we can make it through the great and terrible day of the Lord would be through clinging to faith, you know. And I'm glad you bring up the aspect of stockpiling weapons and everything else, because a lot of Christian identists who do that, and again, it's a good idea just generally to have a good stockpile, a well-stocked pantry and you know, weapons and so forth, but it stems from the, the teaching in Revelation where it talks about the 42 months of the Great Tribulation, and perhaps someday we'll bring a study on the, that teaching because the 42 months literally translates as 42 moons. So, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the Great Tribulation, when you want to boil it down to it, is only about a month and a week long. So there's not a lot that we need to stockpile for anyway, but that's a whole side point, you know, but perhaps we should study that out one day. Oh, gee, that's something very interesting. I didn't know anything about that. I'm sure uh, people have some comments to make on that. But, um, yes, you know, we really need to, pre to prepare ourselves now. And not only that must we prepare ourselves individually, but our um, community as Christian identists. We need to pray for one another, including people who say unkind things about us, you know, to do the right thing by Yahweh, to forgive them seven, you know, 70 times 7. And when Christ said that, that, he wasn't saying that, you know, once you get to... What is seven times seventy? Four hundred ninety. You know, once you get to four hundred ninety, you know, stop stop forgiving people. No, he meant you know, never stop forgiving them, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. That, it was a Hebrewism, which pretty much meant for eternity. And while people are out there counting up the seven hundred amount of times they need to forgive somebody, that's not even what Christ meant. Christ more or less straightforwardly said. Forgive lest, you know, so we can be forgiven. And a lot of people forget that. They say, hey, I don't want to forgive Rabbi Samuelson. Well, they're, in a lot of ways, they're jeopardizing their own salvation. And that's the thing I've said before. It's easy to forgive fiction. It's easy to forgive the mentally ill. So I think most Christian identists should be jumping at the opportunity to turn around and forgive those minor transgressions against ourselves. Yes, well, you know, if we cannot... If we cannot employ in our lives the simple act of forgiveness, something that is so crucial or something upon which our salvation hinges, does it not? I mean, Christ died so we'd be for forgiven of our sins. You know, if our sins were imputed against us, you know, we're not going to make it into the kingdom. We're not going to live forever with Yahweh if our sins are imputed against us. And he had to die, you know, for our sins. So if we can't forgive other people of their much lesser sins towards us, I mean, certainly lesser sins than, um, you know, Yahweh died for, then, um, you know, what good are we? You know, it doesn't matter how well we can preach Yahweh's word and how uh, fervent we are when we say we mustn't race mix and that the Jews are the spawn of Satan. If we can't get a simple, if we can't perform a simple act of forgiveness, then we're wasting our time. You know, we may as well be, Martin Lynn said. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, too. I think a lot of people miss the aspect that we may not even understand what's happening in our life. We may not even understand why it is that God says in Deuteronomy and Leviticus to do certain things. But retrospectively, almost every single chosen vessel of God was able to. And I say that because Noah didn't understand why he was told to build an ark. Abraham didn't understand why he was told to forsake his city and go dwell in the plains of Mamre. But all of them were able to look back after the fact and in retrospect say, dang, Yahweh God really was there and was my comforter and was leading my 
my my footsteps, you know, because we think, hey, we want this. We want a new Mercedes Benz. We want a real nice job. We want a beautiful wife. And if God doesn't give it to us right away, then there must not be God or a God. That's the mindset of the average person. So what I'm saying is there's other commands in Scripture where it says be patient and wait on God. We can pray to God, but I don't know how many times I've prayed to God and expecting an answer, and it would literally be years down the line before I received the answer to that. Oh, yes, that's very true. I mean, the Bible says to wait patiently upon him. Um, you know, it, it is very true because God, God wants that aspect of his character in our lives as well. The Bible says he's very patient and slow to anger and his mercy endures for, forever. And he wants to see those characteristics that, you know, um, that he has in, you know, uh, abundant measure um, in, in our lives as well. You know, we, we need to exercise the, the patience of Yahweh. Well, not so much the patience of Yahweh in the, the extent that we have to wait thousands of years for things to eventuate, but, uh, but I mean, there are our own sort of limited mortal lives of 70 to 80 years. You know, we need to exercise patience and to put our trust in Yahweh even when the, the heavens seem like brass at times. You know, um, you know, in order to be tested, you know, Yahweh's, Yahweh's not going to test us with things that aren't a bother to us, that don't, don't concern us, the things that don't... Like, Yahweh would never test me with alcohol or anything like that because I'm I, I just not into it. You know, I could work in a brewery and never, you know, be tempted to take a drink or anything like that. So he's not going to test me, you know, with something like that. He's going to test me with things that, you know, really you know, get to me, and he is, you know, because that's just, you know, you know, a test isn't much of a test, Jeremy, unless it's a hard test, but, you know, it's like, you know, the Bible likens it to being tried by fire, you know, as you go through the fire, the, the fire is, you know, a terrible thing at times, but you come out of it refined, you, you come out of it purer than, than you did when you went into it, and, uh, you know, uh, there are, there are going to be times when you pray for things, and this is inevitable, you know, you're going to pray for things and they don't appear, you know, instantaneously. They don't appear maybe for years or decades, you know. But um, ultimately, you know, Yahweh does these things to us. So the end game, end game being that, you know, we're with him in eternity and, um, you know, we're, we live a wonderful, blessed you know, forever. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that, that's the thing. You know, As I said ahead, before that, you know, our opinion never equals fact but for the average person we believe our opinion is truth and fact hey jeremy uh yeah i'm here i can actually hear you but it seems like your phone might be cutting in and out obadiah uh, sorry somebody the, yeah to the chat room are you guys able to hear uh obadiah 118 You're cutting out on me, Jeremy. Okay. Yeah, I, I can hear your voice in sort of, you know, dribs and drabs, but it's... Can you hear me all right? Uh, I can hear you now, but it seemed like you were cutting in and out for a minute there. Yeah, well, I heard you just then, but your sort of voice is sort of you know, going on and off, but uh, we'll, we'll soldier on. Um, exactly. You know what it, it is? Talk shoe well, Jews. Oh, well, yeah, you know, uh, controlled by 4,500... Humanoids. <laughs> Turn get their orders from Hitler, who's living in um, twenty uh, second century. <laughs> <laughs> On Venus with Honey Boo Boo and her mother, yeah. Boggles. Uh, now we're talking about a present help. I was wondering if you might give a particular example from your life. 
Oh, I couldn't I couldn't begin to give the amount of examples, but there's been times in my life where I kid you not, I've been close to homelessness. I've been close to sleeping in my car, you know, and there and it's weird in a lot of ways because I've never really preached this, but it's true that us as people we we have the the belief that if we're in our home, we have our car, we have our monthly bills paid, then we're making it. We're doing well in life. But in reality, in a lot of ways, when we're actually out there and living that way and have sacrificed or forgiven everything, you know, when we have less, there's less that ties us down. And so in a lot of ways, these creature comforts that we, we stock up around us can draw us aside and become idols. So what I'm saying, there's been times in my life where I'm, I'm next to homeless, living in Los Angeles on Venice Beach in my car. But lo and behold, Yahweh God would feed me. Yahweh God would take care of me. Yahweh God would protect me, you know, from gangbangers or whatever it is. And eventually, through his prodding, Yahweh God would even lead me in a path that I never really wanted to go into, which was marriage. Even though I was late in my late 20s, God knew better than I did. Because I shudder to think in retrospect, had I not listened to my wife and my wife not listened to God, or had I not listened to God and my wife not listened to him, where we'd be today, or, you know, at bare minimum, our children would have been born out of wedlock and they would have been bastards. Well, Jeremy, because you're cutting out a bit, are, are we, uh, am I coming in loud and clear? Uh, yeah, you are. I can hear you now. All oh, right. Okay, good. Um, well, I was just going to talk about some of the instances when I was a little kid. You know, I, was, I wasn't sort of, you know, really conscious of, of all this at the time. Well, I mean, I would have been in my own sort of infantile way because I was only, you know, a little baby. But, you know, even when I was born, there were complications. Um, my mum's uh, umbilical cord was strangling me. I had to be delivered by a cesarean section. And, um, you know, praise Yahweh, I, you know, <laughs> I made it through that. Um, with the help of a skillful surgeon, so uh, maybe my mum knew something about me that 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 I didn't at the time. You know, she was strangling me with her umbilical cord. But um, you know, when I was a little kid, I put my head through a plate glass door of a, a bookcase, and my mum came running into the um, running into my bedroom to see what had happened. And you know, she picked me up, and I was screaming and wailing as kids do. And she was she was terrified to look at me, thinking that my face would be just a bloody mess from all of this. Um, you know, glass that I'd put my head through, but there was only just a minor little scratch on me. So, you know, the angels were looking after me then. And then when I was a, only a baby, I had a thing called bronchial pneumonia, which is, a, you know, a really terrible illness to have. And mum had to keep me in a crib in the room at a certain temperature. And, um, you know, you sort of, of course, you, you're not conscious of those times. I can't sort of go back and sort of think of that in my memory because I don't, you know, remember it. I mean, uh, my memory of sort of things begins when I was about probably three or four years of age. So, you know, I can't remember as far back as that. But you have to think to yourself, you know, the, uh, Yahweh sent his angels, you know, to look after me in those times and made sure that I, I got through them. Yeah. Yeah. Another another perfect example I could give from my life that's relatively recent would be 2010, late 2010 what went down there. Now, I've only spoken on that, that incident one time, and it was on Eli James' show with Greg Howard, where I explained what went down. But like I said at the beginning of this broadcast, how our enemy, who claims to be Christian identity, loves bringing problems to your door, that's exactly what happened to me towards the end of 2010, 
when the feds come to my house and they have all these printouts of posts from Martin Winsett's webpage in my name that he had made wanting to question me about bombings and so forth. Literally, the state got involved in that. And that was the one and only time me personally in 10 years of ministerial service ever had to deal with uh, you know, such a, an atrocity as it was. The state got involved because, of course, the state was never able to come against me. The ADL, the Southern Poverty Law Center, was never really able to write anything on me because I don't have a criminal record. But when they found or thought they had an opportunity to bury me, it was eye-opening to see how the state moved in, started working on the weaker vessel, my wife, started going through their obscure law books and finding things saying, hey, if you don't leave him for an extended amount of time or X amount of time, we can take your children from you. So that was one such instance where when that happened to me and I was suddenly over here and we were 3,500 miles apart, I went right to the flock. I went right to Eli, Bill, Wickstrom, and everybody else and asked for them to pray for me. And lo and behold, Yahweh did answer that prayer because I was facing 10 years to life in prison for something I didn't even do. And I was worried, worried, worried about it, thinking, hey, I'm going to be gone and out of the picture here. And when it all came down and I went in front of the judge, I didn't even have to talk. The judge says this case was dismissed, and it was dismissed three days ago. Now, of course, the reason I bring that up is because the enemy out there loves going on and on saying that I had to turn around and say I'm a Cherokee Mamzer and all this BS <laughs> to, be, you know, to get out of, out of it. But my whole point was I never even had to speak. And so I followed the example of Christ. I never gave the enemy anything more than yes-no answers. I never gave or, or offered any information above and beyond what happened. And I truly believe that it was the prayers of the saints that actually got that to be done. Because as Christ said to Herod, you know, you'd have no power over me unless it was given to you of Yahweh God. To me, that was one of the biggest trials I ever had to go through because I lost four children, my wife, and was essentially, you know, looking at life in prison and at bare minimum having to pay three, four thousand dollars a month in child support. So it worked out great. Yes, that must have been an incredible, incredibly traumatic time for you because I mean you were sort of beset on all sides. You were you not only were you having difficulties with your your family and what have you, but um you you're having problems with the law and facing jail time, you know, not only you know a, which would have, you know, permanently separated you from your family and um, you know, your your, your ministry and uh, when, they, when those things come upon you, they just sort of just pile on top of you. It's sort of like they smother you. And all you can do to catch your breath, you know, to just to get a bit of air is to, you know, just seek Yahweh and to, you know, you know um, elicit the prayers of others. You know, I know that um, I and a whole lot of other people were praying for you at the time. And, you know, you were very much in your prayers. And, you know, it just goes to show that prayer really does work. Yeah. Yeah, it truly does. And not only that, not to brag on my own own situation, but for all intents and purposes, when the state intervenes and the state says, hey, we're going to go ahead and, and force a restraining order, you know, at bare minimum, it's a year. You're looking at 12 months of not even being able to e email your, your own wife of a decade. You know, it was it was really, really hard. And that, of course, didn't last. I mean, we were only apart six months. Boom, I was up in Washington, and we've been together since. You know, and in 13, 14 years of marriage, that was the only time we were apart. But it does go to show how the enemy operates. And I think in a lot of ways, just like with the takedown of Eli James' site by the ADL, what it does is strengthen us. To me, in retrospect, I look back and I say, you know what, 
that was God more or less waking me up and saying, you better get ready because it's going to get worse. And if you truly don't have your house in order, the government will have more power and control over your family. Well, that, that's exactly true because, um, you know, none of us really has, uh, I think, any real inkling of just how bad things are going to become. Once, you know, we see a, a total collapse in the economy and just everything associated with it, you know, infrastructure, you know, power, power supplies and uh, just the, the total breakdown of society and people, you know, just turning into, or like we, we said in the past, like, like people out of one of those zombie movies, you know, the people themselves are going to be the zombies, you know, they won't need to die to, you know, catch some illness to be like that, they're just going to be so desperate to, to, to survive that they're just going to go around attacking one another. And you know we want we need to we need Yahweh's protection. You know we'll, we'll we'll need it. You know on a daily basis. Then you know it's the only way we're going to survive. And uh, so you know it comes right back to what we're talking about now. How we really need to to make sure that you know we we pump up our spiritual muscles and we really you know acquaint ourselves with Yahweh's word on a daily basis. And we we you know uh, acquaint ourselves with Him. You know, by praying on a daily basis. You know, and uh, not just doing it for a couple of minutes, but really devoting some time to it. And, you know, once we do that, once we become more acquainted, more familiar with Yahweh's word and, you know, more familiar with him in, through prayer and praise, then we'll start hearing the voice of his spirit more, more audibly in our lives. And we'll be able to, you know, um, because it, it'll be through the voice of the spirit that it'll be Yahweh's primary form of communication to us, to, to his people during that time, I believe. You know, where, where we'll need to listen to out, out to it to know, you know, if we, we, we sense that, you know, um, that Yahweh wants us to move from a certain place to another, you know, um, then we'll have to go with that. You know, we won't be able to sort of stand around and sort of debate the issue, but, you know, if we're getting that feeling from the Spirit that we should be doing that, then, then that's what we'll have to be doing. As it says in um, the book of Acts, it seemed good to the disciples. You know, they felt that prompting from the Spirit, and we need to become sensitive to that and, you know, to get quiet within our own selves to, you know, to quieten the storm of, you know, worry and anxiety that we have in our minds to, you know, to clear all that up so we can listen out for the Spirit's voice. Yeah, exactly, because that's the only thing, you know, in a lot of ways, being a Christian identity minister, I know for a fact that, you know, if anything goes down, I learned this through Gallette, I learned it from Richard Butler, if anything goes down, you can already expect the, the flock to scatter. That's exactly what's going to happen. Hal Turner, you know, uh, what's his name, Attorney of the Damned, Edgar J. Steele, all of these guys have this false belief that somehow or another, or an inflated sense of self-importance, that they really believe, Bill White, for example, that when they go down and get busted for their own thing, or, or not even sometimes, that the people they, they preach to and the people that, you know, respect them and supported them over the years are going to come to their defense. And so I think it would be a mistake for many of us to believe that. The reality is, is when we go down, we face jail time alone, just like we face death and we face judgment. And so that's one of the things, you know, I think should be pointed out, is a lot of us think that there's safety in it. And there is. In a lot of ways, when I took my sight down, I felt more unsafe than I ever did with it up because I was sacrificing my, my soapbox in a lot of ways. And the enemy's not going to stop persecuting you. They're not going to stop monitoring your house just because you stop preaching online. So in a lot of ways, I had to bring back Covenant People's Ministry somewhat against my own will to protect myself from what the enemy out there claiming to be Christian identity is perpetuating against me and my family. And so we're perfect, you know, in a lot of ways everything does work out, and that's what I think is great about it. If it's done in faith, 
God will truly deliver you. And I hate to sound kind of superficial in saying, you know, court case or a court victory, but these are small cogs in a big machine. There's so many different ways that God has, has led us and, and, you know, that even like you were saying, from birth, you know, we, many of us should have been dead or, or could have died, and God protected us there and throughout our childhood because we never understood. I don't think David understood while he was in the enemy's camp that he was being geared up and conditioned to become a great king. And so in a lot of ways, I think that's what us in Christian identity need to realize is that while, you know, the false detractors out there, and while even the feds may come to our house for things we didn't do, life truly is a shit sandwich. The more dough you have, the less crap you got to eat. <laughs> more bread, I should. The more bread, I should say. The more bread oh, you have, the less crap you eat. That's way of putting it. <laughs> but um, yeah, you're talking about how we, um, you know, could end up being scattered. But that, that may not necessarily be a bad thing because it'll mean that we're sort of in different um, locations and not sort of all together, and and thus not so uh, easy a target. But um, but. Even if we are scattered, the point is that we, we must be united spiritually. I mean, if, even if we're not, not all hanging out with one another and going to each other's churches and listening to each other's podcasts or, or necessarily agreeing with everything each other says, the, the thing that, as long as we you know, show that love for one another, that we're praying for one another, even if we don't necessarily like one another, the Bible says we must love one another. It doesn't say we must like one another. Like is optional. Love is compulsory, but like is optional. But, um, the, the, the point is we, we need to be praying for one another, that we're all going to be counted worthy in that day, that we're all going to be strong enough to endure the test that's um, put for, uh, that, 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 that we're going to have to go through. I mean, that's pretty much what the, my book is all about, is having to endure until the end. And, uh, you know, it's important that we do endure until the end and that we not only look out for ourselves and, uh, you know, the people that like us and the people that love us, but th- those people in Christian identity who maybe don't like us or, or love us. You know, we've got to, you know, keep them in mind as well because, you know, when Christ went to the cross, Jeremy, it wasn't just the Jews spitting at him and jeering, jeering him. It would have been Israelites too, you know, pure-blooded people of the, the holy race who would have been jeering him and, uh, you know, calling him names. And, you know, he died for those people as well. So we need yeah. to, you know, have a have that little sacrifice for other people in our our prayer time and um, just our, our thought time. You know, don't don't allow you know bad thoughts about fellow Christian identists, even those that you know may may deserve a bad thought or two. You might think, you know, don't let them. You know, well, we used to have a saying in the Pentecostal church I used to go to. You you, you can stop a you can't stop a bird from flying over your house, but you can stop it from building a nest in its roof. Uh, the point is, you can't stop yourself from having bad thoughts once in a while, but you, you can stop yourself from dwelling on them. The Bible said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And if you're regarding iniquity in your heart in the sense of, you know, you're thinking bad thoughts about, you know, fellow Christian identists, you know, they're rotten people and what you'd like to do to them if you had have half the chance, and you're regarding iniquity and Yahweh's not going to hear your prayers. So if we're going to enter a time of, you know, the greatest tribulation the earth has ever known according to Scripture then we want to do it full of faith. We, want to, we don't want to do it carrying grudges that are going to hold back the answers to our prayers because the answers to those prayers, are, you know, our lives are going to hinge upon them. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I believe Christ so many times that judge not lest ye be judged, which measure you judge, you'll be judged in return. And whoso judgeth the law judges or judges his brother judges the law and that's the whole thing i think a lot of us miss it's like through through fruits we can pretty well dictate who's accepted of god and who isn't you know or at least who 
you know, is diametrically opposed to his law. But many of us make the mistake of, of saying, oh, so-and-so is not accepted with God, when they may well be. And there's a danger in, in doing that. Oh, there is, a, there is a dire danger in doing that, Jeremy. I mean, you know, you can't second-guess Yahweh. I mean, and this is something that, you know, we really need, you made such a wonderful point there, we really need to drive this home, is that it's not up to us, us, who makes it and who doesn't. That's Yahweh's decision to make. You know, we don't have any say in the matter. All we can do is what he tells us to do, and that's to love one another, to be forgiving of one another. Anything else is his problem, and it's certainly not for us to say, oh, well, this person's not going to make it, this person is, because probably some of the people we think will make it won't, and some of the people that we don't think uh, will make it will. Yeah, that's a good point, and it's it's definitely confirmed by statements like, uh, you know, whosoever is first will become the last, you know, and whosoever is the greatest will become the least. That's the whole point. Men love debating, you know. For example, here's a perfect example of this that comes from the Bible. In that movie, A River Runs Through It, with Craig Sheffer and Brad Pitt, there's a point in the first 15 minutes where the man is out and he's fishing with his two sons. And Craig Sheffer and Brad Pitt both catch a really nice trout. They're fly fishing. And they're arguing over who got the bigger fish. They're, oh, I got the bigger fish. Brad Pitt's like, no, I got the bigger fish. And lo and behold, Daddy whips out his meat, and he's like, look, the Lord has blessed us all today, and walked off. Now, I'm not saying that movie's good, but it's pretty much the same analogy that we read in the Bible where the disciples were saying, who's greater in the kingdom? Who's greater in the kingdom? And Christ was like, whosoever is the greatest on earth will be the least in the kingdom well the bible says you have to you know to you know to to get a good position in the kingdom of heaven you have to become the servant of all you know you have to serve one another and, and that doesn't just mean just delivering the word to them preaching to them you know via a podcast or in an article or something like that but it also means to serve them as in to put their interests their needs their desires before yours and also to put their feelings before yours, you know, to make sure that you forgive them, that you don't hold grudges against them, and you don't go around backbiting them, even if they've done something to you that, you know, they shouldn't have. You know, we cannot wait for other people to do the right thing to us, Jeremy, before we do the right thing to them. I mean, you know, if that was the case, then Christ would never have died on the cross for us. Yeah, that's true, and that's the whole point. You know, the blood of Christ truly is sufficient, and that's the point. I covered last night towards the end, you know, where it talks about, or Peter does, he says it would be better for many people to have never known the truth than to turn from the holy commandment that is given to, unto them, and that's the whole aspect. If we understand that Christ's grace or his blood was enough to forgive us of our sins, then we can't limit his grace and his blood by saying, well, it's definitely not enough for so-and-so. When they're a trying Christian, that's always been my prerequisite and, and the only basis of you know, judgment I have, is, is the person trying or not? There's people out there who self-aggrandize, call themselves CI, and do nothing but attack other ministers, and I can assure many of the listeners that the people who are trying, who have a good heart, and actually trying to get deeper into the theology, you know, as opposed to those who are slandering them, have a much better position when it comes to judgment. And, and, and I would say to any Christian identists out there who perhaps don't like, like the direction this um, podcast might be traveling in or don't like, you know, us having uh, Pastor Eli on or anything like that, rather than, you know, have you, if you think we've done something, you know, unscriptural, then by all means, you know, state your scriptural case. But, but you know, your script, uh, when slander starts to creep into, into things, that's when you have to cut your, your, your particular 
you know, argument off, you know. Um, you know, just keep it scriptural. Just, you know, say, oh, I believe they're doing the wrong thing because the Bible says that and leave it at that. But, but also what you need to do is pray for us. You know, we, we preach the word more accurately. We have a, a podcast that's more pleasing to Yahweh rather than just to sit back there all the time criticising it. I mean, how often... More often than not, Jeremy, we just criticise people for their little, you know, um, you know, doctrinal slip-ups or, you know, little behaviours or idiosyncrasies that we mightn't be too keen on. And, but, but how often do we pray for them, that Yahweh will, will make that person a better person, you know, help them to, you know, lead a more faithful life and to preach the gospel more faithfully? I mean, we're too busy most of the time, you know, tearing each other down than trying to build each other up. And that's what being a servant of all is, building one another up. Not compromising your beliefs, but praying. You know, if you don't like what somebody preaches or you don't like what they're doing, you know, provided that, you know, what, what they're saying and doing is an outright heresy, then you should pray for them. You know, pray that Yahweh improves their understanding of Scripture, that, you know, makes them a, a better Christian, refines them. You know, don't just, you know, attack them and leave it at that. I mean, well, that's not loving your brethren. Yeah. Exactly. And I'll say right for the record right now, I love the direction the show's going. We average an average of 55 listeners per show. And I don't know too many people in CI who can, who can reach that. And so what I'm saying is Bob Jones' interview peaked at 65. Eli James peaked at 58 listeners. I mean, you know, we're growing. And a lot of people get upset at that because they, they perceive it as a threat. And that's my whole point. I think it's great when I see other CI preachers you know, get into the mainstream, or, or even like Pete Peters did, get on shortwave and reach hundreds upon thousands of people. To me, that's a great thing. But the person who has no works of their own, oh, well, that person's a sellout. You've heard it before. They say, oh, well, Eli James is a sellout because he's on uh, Radio Free Mississippi or he's on uh, Republic Broadcasting Network. Whatever it is, that's good. And we should really glorify when one of our own is able to go to that level and reach the masses. That's the only reason I was ever on Bill White's ANSWP. That's the only reason I was ever on Hal Turner. Not that I believe these men were good you know, people per se, or even strong, devout Christian identists, but when you see an opportunity to preach to the masses, you should go ahead and be ready to give an answer in season and out of season. Well, you know, I, I try to do my best to love everybody in CI and think everybody in CI is great, but if I think that they're not so great, well, then I'm going to pray that Yahweh makes them great. You know, if not in my estimation, in his. Maybe they already are, and the problem is with me. Maybe it's because I'm not so great. But, um, you know, that, well, you're talking about um, Pastor Eli going to sort of, you know, the marketplace. Well, the Bible does say that, you know, to go out amongst the people. You know, we're not going to, we can't witness to people just, well, we can, I suppose, through, through podcasting and that, but I mean sort of on a daily basis, you know, we need to go out there and actually meet people, you know, speak to them, go out into the real world, you know, not lock ourselves up in our homes. Now, just getting, just winding up this, um, this, this topic of uh, Yahweh being a present help in time of, uh, uh, bringing a present help in time of trouble, the uh, one of the most famous psalms, they call this the soldier psalm, actually, called Psalm 91. And uh, I, I won't read it all out here, but I recommend that people have a, one, have a real good read of that and really acquaint themselves with that psalm. Probably most people listening to the show already are very familiar with that psalm, but it's a really good one just to look at and just to sort of dwell on over and over again. You know, it uh, talks about... Um, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. 
Now, now that could be a, a, some sort of prophetic utterance about you know what's um, in store for us as far as you know biological weaponry or you know nuclear weaponry could be concerned. You know, um, in the future. Um, uh, well, the Bible says the power of, power of heaven shall be shaken, doesn't it, Jeremy, in the, the end times? And the, the Greek word for heavens is, it comes from Uranus, from which we get the word uranium. So that could have something to do with um, nuclear, a thermonuclear warfare in the end times. Um, it talks about here, um, Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. That could be a, you know, you know ICBM, or I mean, that could have a... Um, a sort of a, a metaphorical fulfilment and a literal fulfilment um, that particular verse but it's talking about you're know, not not to be worried about the fearsome you know weapons of the enemy no you know regardless of what what they actually may be it says in verse um what have we got it verse six nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness nor for the destruction that waste, wasteth at noonday now i'm sure there are probably two sides to that verse too uh, but um you know, we're heading in for a time where, you know, the only food you'll be able to get will be genetically modified food. And, you know, Yahweh only knows what sort of pestilences and uh, problems and plagues are going to result from that. So, uh, I mean, we're going to, the Bible says, I think, uh, you know, a third of our people are going to die from plague. So plague is going to be a major issue for us, um, you know, um, when the Great Tribulation really sort of, you know, kicks into full gear. So, you know, we need to be we need to be aware of the fact that Yahweh is going to protect us from those things and be confident that he will protect us from those things. Um, and, and just in verse 15 it says, He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. There's that, that thing again, a present help in time of trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. So they're wonderful promises from Yahweh. He's going to deliver us from trouble. He's going to deliver us and he's going to honour us. We're going to you know, stand head and shoulders above you know, what's, What's happened to us? He's going to make us look good, in other words. And, and verse 16, the last verse, With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So Yahweh is going to ensure that he protects us, he shields us, he's our rock, our fortress, he delivers us from trouble, he honours us and he's going to satisfy us with a long life and ultimately show, him, show us his salvation. Of course, you know, um, his salvation ultimately is eternal salvation. Yeah, it's a beautiful prophecy if you think about it. You know, all the promises made that were made to the Israelites and the Israelites alone, you know, it really goes to show the only thing that can drive that, you know, would be a paternal instinct. And I, I believe, and I've said it in the past in a lot of ways, that I don't think the average man or woman will really understand why God commands a lot of the things he does until you have children of your own. You know, that's the reason why he sets boundaries and limitations. But, you know, while there's curses for disobeying him, there's also blessings. And that's the thing. I think a lot of people think, oh, see, I's looking for going to be raptured away to heaven and going to be all these things. It's not only a blessing in the world to come or the kingdom age, but it's a blessing here and now. A perfect example, don't eat pork. Don't smoke cigarettes. You do those two things, you're going to have health problems. Don't be a drunk. You do that, you're going to be a byword, you know, and an abomination to the average Joe. And so while everybody, you know, while every drunk wakes up with hangovers, they sit there and they wonder, why didn't God warn me? Why didn't God tell me? He did tell them. Every morning they woke up with a hangover. God was saying, hey, you should have straightened yourself out then. 
So I think a lot of it is listening for those prayers and doing exact or for those promises and doing exactly like you said, reminding Yahweh God. You say in your word, if I do this and I'm obedient, then you will deliver me. And it's really just that simple. Well, it says in um, Jeremiah chapter 1, I think, or is it chapter 2? I think it's chapter 1. Um, God is watching over his word to perform it. That's the Amplified Version. And, and, and that's such a wonderful scripture, isn't it? God is watching over his word to perform it in our lives, you know, watching over his promises, which are part of his word, to perform them in our lives. You know, um, we talk about, you know, how Yahweh... I, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm being blasphemous by, by saying this, but um, Yahweh does have one vulnerability, and his vulnerability is that Yahweh gets lonely. You know, he wants company. He, he wants, you know, the best company, faithful company, loving company. He wants children to be around him that love their heavenly father and want to be in his company, and he wants to be in their company. But though he has that vulnerability, if you can call it a vulnerability, um, he has impeccable standards. He demands that we be, you know, um, perfect to, to him. And, and even though we can't be perfect in, in, in this mortal coil, we can be in the next life, but, um, but um, he, he will... He will despite the fact that we can't be perfect right here and now, we can be perfect in his eyes through the sacrifices of Christ. You know, the more that we follow Christ's standard in our life, lives, and the more he's going to see us as types of Christ, you know, with a, with a small c, not, a, not as Jesus Christ, but as somebody who's covered by the righteousness of Christ, as somebody who bears the characteristics of Jesus Christ. And, you know, once we, once we do that, you know, Yahweh will see us as perfect, even though in the natural sense we're not. And, um, but yeah, the whole Bible story, as we've mentioned before, Jeremy, is simply Yahweh wants his children, loves his children, wants us to be with him and wants us, wants, wants us to be blessed beyond, you know, all comprehension. I mean, that's the Bible story right there and then. I know you can embellish it with a lot of other things, but I mean, in a nutshell, that's it. So it's very important that, you know, we, we be his children. We be loving children. We tell our father that we love him and we appreciate him. We praise him and, uh, we honour him. All Yahweh wants to be, us to do ultimately is to recognise who he is, you know, what we are in his sight and that we're nothing, you know, without him and that, uh, you know, he will do all the rest. Yeah, that's a perfect example, I mean, of, of what I'm saying as well. is like if we as children go to even our fleshly dads or fathers on earth only when we need money, only when times are hard, only when we get in trouble – then it stands to reason that the father is like, hey, I have an ungrateful son. This, this, you know, he only comes around when he needs something. And so it's not, you know, too far-fetched to state that Yahweh God feels the same exact way if we don't pray to him when, and thank him for our blessings. It's almost as if we are ungrateful children because we are if we don't acknowledge that it comes from him. Well, if we're only, you know, going to Yahweh when we need something, then we're essentially, we're gold diggers, aren't we? We're only... We're only, you know, praising him just to get what we can get out of it. You know, not to, you know, that's why praise is so so important because, you know, it's putting aside all your cares, all your worries and just, you know, praising Yahweh for who he is, what he is. And yes, praising him for his blessings and what he's done for us in our lives, but just praising him, just recognizing who and what he is. I mean, that's the difference between calling God, God and calling him Yahweh. God is what he is, but Yahweh is who he is. You know, so it's important that we, I mean, you're not going to go to, in the fires of Gehenna for calling Yahweh God all your life. But, I mean, he would much prefer that you call him by his name. It would be like me going around, you know, calling you, instead of calling you Jeremy, calling you to say, hey, you all the time. It's kind of disrespectful. But, um, anyway, I, do, I, I digress. Jeremy, now, we, um, 
uh, we've sort of hurtled past the top of the, the first hour and we're sort of rocketing towards the, the second hour now. We haven't even done our Bride of the Monster, but I was wondering, we did have a caller. Is it, would that caller like to chime in here, or do we have another caller on? Or Yeah, this would be a perfect time to actually put the call out, if anybody, and we're up to quite a few people in the uh, chat room. If anybody wants to call in or has a serious question, Pretty much pertaining to anything, feel free to do so. Uh, Buddy from Pensacola dropped off about five minutes ago, so maybe he'll call back. Sorry about that, Buddy. We should have had him on at the top of the hour. (laughs) got sick of listening to us, not to worry. We have covered quite a bit so far, haven't we? Yeah, we truly have. And that's the beauty of this free format like that, is we don't try to box ourselves into one particular format. You know, that's the reason why we don't have to have four or five different shows out there. We can just do it under one banner. If people want to understand Comparade, then they should just go listen to Comparade. They don't need somebody to tell them what it says. And it's good how you do the director's cut of the show. I'm in the, the regular edition. You know, I'll, I'll bow out after about a couple of hours. But then you, you, you'll stay on for about an hour, an hour, hour and a half doing the director's cut, doing a sermon. And, and that one you did the other um, last week, that was, I think, your longest uninterrupted sermon, I think. That was a, yeah. something like uh, an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> It's amazing, too, huh, to do all that on not, not even having a cell phone, five hours, not being able to go to the restroom. But the part of the reason I do that is because I learned from the Feast of Tabernacles 08 with Eli James is when you have the bull, grab them by the horns and ride them. To me, in a lot of ways, when there's still 30 people sitting in the, in the line, you know, waiting and listening, it's better just to preach and go ahead and do it and fill it. And so that's the reason why. If no one's listening, then I'll go ahead and hang up. But as long as they're listening, I try to usually feed them. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me, Jeremy? Hello, Jeremy. Am I still on air or am I not? Okay, my real name is and my telephone number, my address is, you can... um, Hello, Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy, if you can hear me, I'll I'll hang up. I'll go to my computer and just see what what, what the deal is. I'll, I'll come back, but I will hang up. Okay, I apologize for that. It seems like the talk shoe Jews, quote-unquote, are on my case tonight, or could it just be the fact that me and Obadiah are broadcasting from opposite ends of the world? I think it's probably the latter. Okay. Well, dear kinsfolk, I've called back in because the TalkShoe Network has dropped the call, which is commonplace. Usually on Wednesday nights is an extremely popular evening. So uh, if you can hear me in the chat room, please go ahead and say so, and maybe Obi will call back in. If not, I'm going to go ahead right now and pick it back up in John chapter 6. The reason for this is because Obadiah stated earlier in the broadcast and brought up and made mention of the fact that Jesus Christ, when he broke the loaves, fed 5,000 people. The symbology behind this is much deeper than the average person wants to believe. So I'll be reading from the Revised Standard this evening. And in John chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, 
After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he did on those who were diseased. That's the reason why Jesus Christ would continually cast out demons and heal the sick and the lame and so forth, was because through his actions and through his works, the word of God grew. Christianity as a movement continued to grow because of the works that people saw. Now we live in a latter era, 2012, where people come along and they say, hey, you know, I don't really see God working in the world today. Well, it stands the reason that God's not going to work in the world today when we've turned our ear from hearing his law, when we allow homosexuals to get married and so forth. And uh, before I continue, dear Kinsfolk, again, if you'd like to call in, you can call in at this time if you have serious questions. But Jesus Christ was able to do that. And Jesus Christ did not do anything because he hated. Christian identity, again, dear Kinsfolk, is not the white man's hate religion. We are to be driven by the force of love for our own first and foremost. That is what Jesus Christ did. He healed those of the Israelite stock and the Israelite race because he loved them. They were his brothers and so forth. Continuing on, verse 3. Jesus went up on the mountain and there sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Judeans, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing how a multitude was coming to him, Jesus said to Philip, How are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Question. Now why would Philip ask this? Because... It is the first instinct of every human being down here, the natural man, to wonder about his belly, to worry about where he'll be clothed, how his bills will be paid, and how he's able to make money and provide for his own. But God is not quite so concerned. Yahweh God says that if we pray in faith, he will give us what we have need of, not what we want, not what man comes along and says, hey, you know what, I don't feel very good because I don't have the nicest car, the greatest Kindle fire, or the newest iPhone. But God will give you what you need. And each and every one of us now in our late 30s, late 40s, or even greater than that, are able to look back and say, hey, we still live in a world where we wonder about where our next meal would come from. This is why Jesus Christ would straightforwardly teach, consider the ravens, look at the ravens, for they know they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store in their storehouses, but yet God, in all his intricate mercy, is able to feed even them. Are we not greater than the ravens? Oh, yes, indeed we are. So the story behind this is this. Be content. As Paul, the apostle, says, where thou beest, beest thou content, so also should each and every one of us strive to do the same. So is Philip who comes to Jesus, or at least Jesus, asking Philip, how are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Continuing on, verse 6, this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. And so, Philip, being the natural man, or a natural apostle, naturally assumed, hey, we don't have money. If we don't have money, we don't have the ability to feed. But is that the way that Yahweh God designed it in the very beginning? Oh, no, indeed. In fact, Yahweh God has it designed so that those who are truly blessed by him, through the aspect of agriculture and so forth, will be able to come along and sow. What we reap is what we sow. But not so in Satan's kingdom down here, because the way of it is the Jew will come along and tax the farmer, take his goods, or at least give him bottom dollar value for what he grows, because he truly is blessed and they can't grow anything, and then turns around and charges you twice as much for what it was. But God did not design a fiscal monetary system. God did not design it so that we have to pay property taxes and pay a bank 
for the right to live. Rather, God designed it so each and every one of us should be able to go out and homestead, and the um, amount of land that we're able to homestead, the amount of crops that we get, are 100% contingent upon how much we bless Yahweh, or Yahweh God blesses us. If God does not bless us, then frankly, we won't eat. And that goes back to the teaching, if you don't eat... You don't, or if you don't, if you don't work, you don't eat. Neither should you eat. Of course, the flippant Christian will come along and say, "Well, that means if you don't work and make a paycheck, you can't buy groceries." But in reality, it means if you do not work for the things of God, you will not eat the deeper things, or the word, the milk, or the meat. You will not eat the deeper things. And even on a superficial level, if we do not get out, do the work ourselves, and plant a seed, then it can never grow. How can Yahweh God bless us if we won't do the first step, if we will not put that first seed within the ground? So, so oh, back, Jeremy. Oh, excellent. I'm glad you're here. Were you kicked off or was I? I have no idea. I was, I was talking and, and going along on it, and it basically just dropped the dial tone. And then I look in the chat room, and it says, Pastor Visser's hung up. No, I didn't. The talk shoe Jews booted me. And I bet you Shane Davis is behind it. I'm kidding, of course. No, it was that old Hitler. He didn't like what we were saying about him, what, we what we've been saying about uh, Rocky Sahader, and he, he thought, well, I'm going to get these, these scumbags. Oh, indeed. And it is funny how they do that, isn't it? The detractor. You know, one thing that's eye-opening to me, and maybe I shouldn't say it, is the fact how one of my oldest enemies, I'm not even going to say his name, one of my oldest enemies who I haven't heard anything from in eight years since I posted on Stormfront, was one of the main propagators of, oh, don't listen to Pastor Visser, he has Eli James on. It's like, dude, you're out there preaching that there's no devil. I'm not worried what he thinks. You'll, you'll have to send me a PM telling me who that guy is, Jeremy. But, okay. Jeremy, we, we haven't got into Bride of the Monster yet, and I, I think, you know, seeing we don't, apparently we don't have any callers, if we don't have any callers, maybe we could play that little clip. Absolutely. And so for everybody in the chat room, I'm going to go ahead and play this now so you'll understand what Obadiah and myself are discussing. Here we go. Yeah, hopefully that played pretty clear. Was it Bella Lugosi or Martin Lindstedt? That's a good question. I will perfect my race of superhumans, and they will take over the world. You know, I'm trying to – the fact that Bella Lugosi at the time he say, said those words was so strung out on morphine and heroin, I'm inclined to say that it's probably Martin Lindstedt. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'd have to say, say that. I mean – just listening to that, could you imagine what um, Bela Lugosi would have done if he if he did um, the movement turn? I could just picture it now. Gorgons, wankers, and man's ass clowns across the 
It's just like Bella, just like Bella at Orgy of the Dead, where he says, "Pull the strings, pull the strings." I, I could just hear him saying, "That malachian answer, Jeremy Visser." With my race of atomic warlords, I shall destroy him and open Jenga Bender. The transgender Nazi Buffner. <laughs> I shall skin alive and goad him. <laughs> well, I suppose I should state the obvious that if Marty wins it as Bella Lugosi in Bride of the Monster, then that means Shane Davis, a.k.a. Logan Hunter 88, must be Lobo. Oh, well, I actually make mention of that, Jeremy. You've you stole a bit of my thunder there. But um, maybe, Jeremy, you might want to give a little bit of background about um, Bella Lugosi and particularly his involvement with Edward D. Wood Jr. and who exactly Edward D. Wood Jr. was. Okay, sure, yeah. Bella Lugosi, for most, I think most people know, was Dracula, 1934, in the original uh, Universal Picture Dracula. And Bella Lugosi, in the opinions of many, you know, not myself, however, uh, is considered to be the best actor who ever played Dracula. But unfortunately, Bella in the late in the late 30s and early 40s became typecast, like many people do. And because he became typecast and only known as Dracula, Hollywood shunned him and basically said, "Hey, we're not going to hire this guy for any other movies because everyone expects him to be Dracula." Well, Ed, Edward Wood Jr., Edward D. Wood Jr., the director, much later in the 50s, came along and found a broken-down Bela Lugosi, unfortunately, because he was typecast and because what little royalties he made off the movie Dracula more or less went up his arm and was able to very briefly before his death regenerate a small career for Bela Lugosi. Now, Edward, Edward Jr., Ed Wood, is known as was actually rewarded the golden turkey for being according to the, so the you know the powers that be uh to them according to them was the worst film director ever but in my opinion i don't believe he was because i can name a lot of them who are much worse but what ed wood did is he would go and he would take money from judeo-christian churches and say hey you know what i'm going to go ahead and make your movie about jesus christ and turn around and just go ahead and make movies like Bride of the Monster, Night of the Ghouls, Glenn or Glenda, and do exactly what he wanted to do anyway. So, for lack of a better term, even though he was a transgendered poofter, he was actually quite ingenious in the aspect that he was able to take money from the system, quote-unquote, and regurgitate it and put out his own schlop. Well, he wasn't uh, transgendered. I mean, some of the that, that guy who played the really prissy, prissy, uh, alien leader in Plan 9 from Outer Space. He was Bunny Breckenridge or whatever his name was. <laughs> the one who kept rolling his eyes whenever Tor Johnson would walk into the room. But he um, he, he apparently put himself up for a sex change. But uh, uh, Wood Jr. was a transvestite. He'd often direct a movie in drag. And apparently on the uh, on D-Day, he, he rolled up on the shores of France, France in you know his regular you know military uniform. But underneath, he had bra and a bra and panties. <laughs> <laughs> so he was yeah. quite a character, Edward D. Wood Jr. was. Yeah, indeed he was. And, you know, the beauty of watching those old films with Tor Johnson and, and Crimwell and Vampira is the aspect that, in retrospect, they really weren't that bad. You look at these 50s films now, and granted, you know, he was using just paneling and that was supposed to be the dungeon bricks at least in bright of the, the monster but plan nine from outer space even though it was awarded a golden turkey 
is truly an entertaining film. Oh, it is. It's one of my favourite films of all time. I could watch it over and over again. Um, I, I mean, it's hilarious. You know, the, uh, you know, the gravestones made out of you know, cardboard and how somebody's chasing somebody through a grave at night. They run onto a street and it's time noon. I mean, it's full of so many continuity errors and just, you know... And, and Edward, Edward D. Wood Jr., he, he was one of the world's fastest typists. He actually won a, a typing award for, for the fastest typer. He could type 200 words per minute. So he used to write these scripts in a day or so. And, of course, you know, if, you, you know, if you're going to write a script in a, in a day or two days, you're not going to write a very good script. And, he's, and, you know, his dialogue was absolutely atrocious. He tried to put all this sort of philosophical mumbo-jumbo in it, but it always come, came out as something completely absurd. And he had all these, you know, continuity errors and all these, you know, um, you know uh, holes in his plot. I mean, you, you know, you could drive a couple of semi-trailers through them. But uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space is kind of a, an anti-masterpiece in the sense that it was meant to be a really good film, but it turned out to be a really bad film. But unlike most really bad films, this one was a really entertaining film. I mean, you just laugh, you know, from, from go to woe through Plan 9 from Outer Space. And every time you watch it, you always see something new. Yeah, yeah. You you would think that for a for a fifties B filmed Hollywood director, you know, Night of the Ghouls, Plan Nine from Outer Space, you know. Let me think. He had several others. In fact, I got my hand on them right now. But uh, Plan Nine, uh, Night of the Ghouls, Haunted Wood, Jailbait, which of course was pretty bad, and Glenn or Glenda, which were just probably his his top five five films. But you you do you truly do find new things in there every day, and it, it's weird because Glenn or Glenda is one of those films where Ed Wood is being an apologist for the transsexual lifestyle and trying to assure his his watchers that he's not gay. So as much as Ed Wood would come out and say, "Hey, I'm not gay," and and that film said somebody who's a transsexual may not necessarily be a you know, a post-op transsexual or, or whatever, it, it does come out as kind of semi-autobiographical in a lot of ways because he did like to wear those clothes. And why? Who knows? But I assure you there's a lot of people in Hollywood, and I say this from being a movie reviewer in the past, who are a lot more abominable than Edward D. Wood Jr. could have ever been. Oh, there's no, there's no doubt about that. But... Uh, I uh, Leonard Moulton cited Glenn or Glenda as the worst film ever made. He reckons it's even worse than uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space. And he could be right. I mean, it's such a, a funny film, Edward Jr. Uh, I mean, sorry, um, Glenn or Glenda. You know, pull off the ring, pull off the ring, which one has been created. <laughs> yeah, Bella, he was completely tweaked out during those scenes. And, and that's the beauty of Ed. Ed wasn't a perfectionist. Ed was just like, hey, you know what? That's good. Run it. Cut it. That's, that's good enough. And the reason he did that, I think a lot of people miss, was because for the most part, he was a guerrilla filmmaker. He would go right on the street of Hollywood Boulevard like he did for Glenn and Glenda and film without a permit you know, guerrilla style, or they would steal the uh, octopus from Universal set and use it three or four times like they did in Bride of the, of, of the Monster, where he's rolling around, pulling the tentacles over himself. But you look at it in a lot of ways through the editing, it was actually in a, in a way, and especially for the time, it being film was an ingenious way of doing filmmaking. Yeah, well, they had to, when they copped that, when he copped that octopus, he... Um... It didn't have the. It came without the, the motor that normal, normally had, and which worked the um, 
the the tentacle. So he, he, he oh, all he could do was throw Bella Lugosi on top of it and just say, Bella, just throw the tentacles around you, make it look like it's attacking you. So it, it's a ridiculous scene at the end of the movie where he's in this little looks like a little creek with this giant octopus. You know what it, what it's doing in a creek is anybody's you know guess. But you know he, he's sort of screaming out, ah, and he's throwing the tentacles around himself. It's hysterical. And at the end of the movie, for no reason at all, they had this nuclear bomb explosion because the, um, the Christians, or supposed Christians, that, uh, the Baptists, I think they were, that, um, that financed the movie said that, you know, well, well, one of the guys said, look, you know, we're really concerned about, you know, um, nuclear warfare. Could you have a, a statement against nuclear warfare? <laughs> nuclear warfare at the end of the movie. So for no reason at all, uh, Wood Jr. just tossed a nuclear bomb explosion in it. <laughs> Exactly. Very anticlimactic, but no different than what a lot of Hollywood films do when they run out of budget. I think one of the things that could be attributed to Ed Wood Jr.'s uh, at least ability was to go and take these these typecast people and put them in films. Because not only was Bela Lugosi typecast as Dracula, but so also was, was Criswell, so also was Tor Johnson the wrestler, and Vampira. Yes, indeed. Um, it was funny when um, uh, the Medved brothers who wrote the book, um, the, the 50 Worst Movies of All Time and then the, the Golden Turkey Awards, um, uh, they were saying that uh, Edward D. Wood Jr. was the kind of guy who'd get fame any way he could get it, even if it was people just, you know, um, lambasting him over what a terrible director he was. You know, that was good enough for him. As long as they gave him publicity, that was the main thing. And he'd... Towards the end of his life, he died in 1978, I think it was, and he, he would ring up, you know, whenever he saw, whenever he'd look up the TV guy and see one of his movies on, he'd ring up the various people that were in the movie, you know, the actors, and proudly announce, you know, Bride of the Monster is on, you know, at 1am this tomorrow morning, <laughs> you know, as if they were winning up for an Academy Award or something. Yeah, exactly. And, and and here we are, you know, over over 50, 60 years later still discussing his work. So it goes to show in a lot of ways how it actually does work, that there truly is no publicity, no such thing as bad, bad publicity. In fact, I'll go on record right now and say, for the most part, my favorite films are films that people like Leonard Maltin give to, you know, give thumbs down to. They say they're horrible. In fact, nine times out of ten, I find that to be, you know, exactly what happens. They say that about The Fountain. They say it about, you know, Black Swan. Whatever it is, if the enemy out there or the, or the Jew comes and says, well, it's bad, nine times out of ten, there's a reason for it. And I'm not saying that just to be a rebel. I'm just saying I have found that for the most part, what Leonard Maltin gives three, five, you know, five stars to is Titanic by James Cameron, which was an abomination comparatively to the original now you said one movie there The Fountain did you say The Fountain yeah that's a film by Darren Aronofsky who is a Jew but he also directed Pie and Requiem for a Dream The Wrestler and Black Swan and in Pie I'm sure you're well aware they were talking about the Talmud they were talking about the Kabbalah the Jewish Kabbalah and how many Jews believe that there's a numerical value for everything, that if they're able to crack that numerical value, they're able to actually access the throne of God. So it's kind of symbolic or, or semblance of Rosemary's Baby by Polanski, where the self-loathing Jew comes out and starts talking about Jewish blood label. I, I saw a, um, a, a film the other, other week that kind of touched on Jewish ritual murder, 
called Sinister, one of the scariest movies I've seen in years. In fact, one of the best horror movies I've seen since the original Jeepers Creepers. Oh, I've heard, yeah, I think Ethan Hawke's in that. Yeah. Am I right? Oh, yeah, he, I've heard good yeah. things about that. I, I won't tell you anything about it because I'll ruin it for you, but uh, oh, keep an eye out for that. That is one scary movie, really well done. That was a real surprise. And uh, Jeepers Creepers, that was a great movie, but um, that was directed by a guy who was arrested for, on, on charges of pedophilia. So that has a, a whole interesting subtext in it, that, that, that movie, but that's a story for another night. But tonight we're talking about The Bride of the Monster, and the reason we're talking about The Bride of the Monster, Jeremy, is because I found some disturbing, shocking parallels between the mad scientist, the character that Bela Lugosi plays in the movie, and your friend and mine, Pastor Martin Lindstedt. Now, before you continue, I should point out that R.D. Bradshaw, quote-unquote, is in the chat room trolling. And so I just wanted old R.D., the Marty Sock Puppet, to know that if you'd like to call in R.D. Bradshaw tonight and express your uh, opinions about the, quote-unquote, gospel, according to Ed Wood, you're free to do so. But continue on, Obi. And, and we'd, we'd love to have Amy Rose 88. <laughs> Amy Rose 88 call in. Uh, would that be good to have R.D.? Amy and Pastor Weedman on, you know, have a panel discussion. In fact, we should set up an, an end-of-the-year discussion, Jeremy, and we'll, have, we'll invite all of them on, you know. As many nah. top puppets as Marty wants on can come on the show, as long as Marty doesn't come on the show. <laughs> that'd be, that'd be, yeah, that'd be a three-hour show. We'd have to put a lot of filler in. I'll tell you what, waiting on that one. That's right, and, uh, but, but R.D. has an open invitation any time he wants to call in, as long as he's not Pastor Min Martin Linstead. Is welcome to do so. And, of course, we all know that R.D. is not Pastor Martin. I mean, that's just a vicious canard, a vicious rumour. Well, you know, we don't believe that, of course, here. Um, anyway, what about these parallels? Well, Jeremy, in Bride, of, in Bride of the Monster, mad scientist Lugosi lives in a run-down old house out in the sticks in the middle of what he calls a jungle hell. Mad identist Marty lives in a run-down old house out in the sticks in the middle of overgrown weeds and piles of junk, which his neighbours call a jungle from hell. So that's the first parallel. Is that spooky or what? Yeah, I mean, that's extremely similar coming out the gate, you know. And I suppose I should point out that the beginning of Bride of the Monster, where they come up to that shack that Bella and Tor Johnson live in, was spoofed and mirrored in Rocky Horror Picture Show. So... You know, coming up upon a shack can be a scary thing in the dead of night when it's raining. Now, that's right, and especially when there's a smell of tinkle in the air. <laughs> in Bride of the Monster, Lugosi plans to take over the world with a race of atomic supermen created in his laboratory. Marty... <laughs> oh, dear, I hope I can get through these. Marty plans to take over the world with a race of supermen. He causes 10,000 warlords created in his laboratory, his pet term for his imagination. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. He's been espousing the 10,000 warlords project, and I think he's up to two warlords now after a decade. Pretty good going, I think. <laughs> Not... In Bride of the Monster, Lugosi keeps a giant octopus in a tank of water in his basement. <laughs> Marty keeps a giant de facto who's built like a tank on a waterbed in his bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. He has to hose that one off, doesn't he? I, a couple times on News Guy, he'd be like, I got to go slop the hog. I got to go feed Roxy. <laughs> That's uh, a good point. 
<laughs> I think I just broke my um, vow to not tell any more Roxy jokes, but that's kind of true what I said there. She is his de facto. She is built, built like a tank, and she does spend a lot of time on the waterbed in his bedroom. So I don't think, you know, that really... Can, you can't call that slander or anything. That's just a simple statement of fact. Exactly. It's okay, not you, slander, you ready it's true. That's right. <laughs> are you ready for another one? Here's another parallel. You, you mentioned this one before, kind of. In Bride of the Monster, Lugosi is assisted by, by a hulking manservant mute called Lobo. Marty is... <laughs> oh, Marty is assisted by a dorky manservant called Logan, who's rendered mute by dint of the fact that every time he calls into Marty's show, Marty won't let him get a word in edgewise. <laughs> That's so true. And you think about uh, Hunter Wallace calling in and, and actually, oh, great, he had a soapbox to be able to dis discuss his uh, beliefs. And I think in a three-hour segment, he got to speak a total of 15 minutes, if I, and I'm being liberal with that. I mean, that, that is a disgrace, isn't it? I mean, if, you, if you're going to interview someone, if, you, if someone's going to do you the courtesy of coming on your show, then you should at least shut up while they're speaking and let them have, actually get to speak. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. When it comes to Lugosi there, it's all about self, self, self. <laughs> okay, here's our, our final and perhaps most disturbing parallel. In Bride of the Monster, Lugosi meets a horrible end entwined in the tentacles of a rubber octopus. <laughs> Marty will meet a horrible end entwined in a straitjacket in the rubber room of a nuthouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he will, and that's the whole thing. When you listen to him, now, of course, Bela Lugosi was, bringing, was playing it up for the camera, talking about his race of superheroes that would root the world. But at the you same time, the criminals. <laughs> exactly. Marty's dead serious. Whether he's retarded or not is beside the point. But he's dead serious when it comes to this ridiculous aspect. If he thinks he can find ten thousand legit, truly God-fearing people, you know, that are willing to follow him, I say good good luck to him. But you know, he'll be as successful as Bella was in Bride of the Monster, and probably meet the same end, get rolled over upon or something. Well, it's going to be. <laughs> It's got to be 10,000 Logan Hunters. Imagine them let loose on the world. Oh, my goodness. Could you imagine? And like I said, dear Kinsfolk, you were the first to hear it here. For a limited time only, if you buy the brand-new 2013 Nissan from Smyrna Nissan in Tennessee, we will throw in a free time travel trip to the moon where you can meet Honey Boo Boo and Adolf Hitler himself, who triumphantly awaits the returns of his loyal, reanimated, and reincarnated followers. Honey Boo Boo and the Nazis from Mars. Wasn't that an album by David Bowie? <laughs> I think it was, yeah, where he sings about uh, a lady, lady Boo Boo, and he sings about, you know, a lot of those things. But sure, the spiders from Mars... The Honey Boo Boo, the Nazi, that was its first title before he actually changed it. He had to change it, of course, you know, to appease like Mick, Mick Ronson and several other people in the band. But Bowie was all about space travel and time control to Major Tom. Basically, you know, if we were to get Bowie on this show, we could ask him all about it because he would probably tell you that Major Tom was on his way not to the moon, but to Venus to turn around and hang out with Honey Boo Boo and Big Thumb and the 7,000 or 4,500 feet giants. And, and we all know that David Bowie has had um, quite extensive contact with um, Hitler in the future. 
In fact, they're thinking of doing a double live album together. So that's very exciting news. Yes, indeed. I heard it was called Hitler Dory. <laughs> yes. Uh, dear, dear, dear. Nobody can say we don't have fun on this show, Jeremy. Oh, you got to love it. And that's what I'm saying. Artie's still in there. Artie, feel free to call in if you have a problem, but we all know that you're a, a Martin Lindsay sock puppet, so we, we can have Look, a little RD, fun. I'm, I'm, calling, I'm calling you out, R.D. You're Marty Lindstedt. The only way you can prove you're not is to call in. Actually, all, the, all Marty needs to do, really, to prove that R.D. is a real bloke is just get a pneumonian to, to just pretend he's the guy, and, you know, that'll be proof. Yeah, much like, like did with, do that. much like he did with William B. Oh, I'm real. I'm real. Yeah, you're a real atheist. That's the whole beauty of it all. If you really look at some of the people who follow Samuelson, they're not Christian. They couldn't be. Because how can we can profess to follow the law of God when it straightforwardly out, outlaws slander and gossip? Well, well, the people like Wee Willie B just calling the Marty Show just to, you know, just to encourage him, to egg him on, to, to make him think that, you know, he's got all of these people supporting him, so he must continue on his wonderful and, uh, you know, glorious Christian uh, mission. Yeah, exactly. That's the beauty of it, is what we do without sock puppets is what he tries to do with sock puppets. I've gone over there, and there's been, you know, two listeners, three listeners, and six sock puppets from six different Toshibas. And when you drop the shenanigans like that, I've even said it in past shows, how about just earn a flock? How about, you know, if you have a problem with what Obi and Visser are preaching, call in and theologically debate your position or standpoint. They never do that. They'll just turn around and say, Pastor Visser is a Cherokee, <laughs> you know, without any proof. And, and what is he doing drumming up these supporters, you know, um, Anyway, you know, these, these, these aliases, because, I mean, you know, you do it for Yahweh. You're doing it to appease him. You're not doing it necessarily to get, you know, tons of followers and that. I mean, you know, that's a bonus. But the, the ultimate thing is to, to preach the word faithfully. I mean, if you, you have to create people to make it look like you've got supporters, I mean, there must be something very direly wrong with your um, ministry to begin with. Yeah, exactly. I've seen it time and time again. When a person establishes their entire ministry revolving around the slander and defecation of others, it will never stand the test of time. In fact, one thing I can say for Pete Peters and Arnold Murray and many, even Swift and Comparay in a lot of ways, is they learned over the years to not address the individual as much as they address the behavior. And and so name dropping is one thing, and that's why we are to be watchmen on the wall. But yeah, it's sick. It's sad because, you know, why be jealous? Why be out there trying to sit there and slander? Basically, all he's doing is wearing his faithlessness on his sleeve. Christ says, "My sheep hear my voice; they won't follow the voice of a stranger." So if all these strangers have come into Christian identity, we still have nothing to worry. So, uh, do we have any callers on the line, or are they all R.D. Bradshaw? Are they? <laughs> There's a lot of people in the chat rooms, probably up to about 30, 35 some odd people. But it looks like no one's really got the nuts to call in or, or what have you. Maybe they just don't want to, but they should have this open invitation. If they would like to call in, now would be the time. You know, you've got a lot of these idiots like Logan out there trying to publish my street address. You know, why don't they call in about that? They don't. They're cowards. They're little net warriors. Google spies. And that's even sadder to me in a lot of ways because 
They think for 10 seconds I'm not searching my own name on the Internet every day to see what's seen about me. They're, they're sadly mistaken. So when they come up with all this stuff, you know, I know where it comes from, and it comes from Google. These guys have too much time on their hands to sit there and try to denigrate somebody else by using a straw man. They can't attack me theolo- theologically and that, or you in that regard, and that's why I think they do what they do. The same ones who do nothing but, you know, five hours a week or ten hours a week do nothing but slander. Well, I'd like, <clears throat> pardon me, I'd like Logan to come on the show um, to have a serious discussion with him about, you know, sort of a, um, a how-to on how to, um, you know, cast demons out of people, you know, kind of an exorcism 101. So if ever he'd like to come on the show, he's got an open invitation, call in any time, and we'll discuss, you know, demon possession, how, how to recognise the signs of demonic possession, how to get the, how the hell to get the, the hell out of somebody. Yeah, exactly. And that's the reason why I'm going to bring Linda on the show. Because while these people go out and say, oh, Linda has Jewish kids and Linda's a whore and Linda, no, she's not. And she's an old lady who's been harassed by the same exact group of people who tried to throw her under the bus by publishing her address and sensitive information to the Internet. And I say, keep doing it, guys. You know, Logie, Marty, keep doing it. Keep publishing people's Internet uh, address or what you think is their Internet information to the Internet. And eventually there will be enough to bury, bury them. And what they won't realize is they go around crying, saying, oh, Brian Rio DMCA complained me. No, they did it to themselves. That's the whole point. So are you saying that um, Linda doesn't have Jewish kids? or? Uh, from what I've heard, no, actually. And I have oh. yet to call her. She's here in a list. And apparently she managed to get my real home number from one of Marty's shows, which, of course, is ISP logged if it ever goes to court, which it won't because I don't deal in man's courts. But it is interesting that somewhere along the way they published my real phone number, albeit the wrong address, and they managed, she managed to call me directly, and, and my wife took the message, and I have yet to call her back because, you know, I don't know much about the situation. But the more that they continue, the more they do this, and the more people that come forward saying, yeah, this is what these guys do, which is worse than the ADL, I'm going to have them on the show so they can discuss it as well. Well, that would be interesting. That's a real scoop to have Linda on the show. I'm sure News Guy would be green with jealousy over that because I'm sure he wanted to have her on for uh... – you know, on his show, but we're, we're scooping everybody there. Yeah, exactly, and that's my point. It, you know, we really shouldn't listen to what people say about people on the Internet because I swear to you, in the last two years, I went from being a Negro to a Mexican to a Jew to finally they couldn't figure out what it was, even though I've never really published pictures of myself to the Internet, and settled in on Melungeon, which is supposedly a mix between, like, five different races. Yes, that's become his, um, a very popular term with Marty, hasn't it? He, almost everything is, you know, you Melungeon, you this, you that. Um, oh, it's all just ridiculous. But um, so, so our next show, um, are there any other topics you'd like to cover on our next show? We'll be talking about um, the, the main topic will be Celts and Jews down under, but is there anything you'd like to cover, Jeremy? Because I tend to sort of nominate what topics we'll cover, but, you know, if there are any topics you want to cover, you know, please, you know, we'll, we'll do them. Well, definitely, yeah. I mean, if anything comes to mind, I will send you a PM about it. But for the most part, you've been an extreme boost to this show, this broadcast, and I've really enjoyed, 
you know, having you and following your leaders, you know, you're leading because it goes into to realms that I couldn't even fathom taking it into. And so variety truly is the spice of life. Having a good co-host cuts out a lot of the, of me trying to figure out because we're trying. Basically, the reason I've been inactive the last two months is we're finishing off our edition that I discussed before, which is going to be a slash recording video studio and part of the church. And so we're at the part now of doing the pergo floor and the trim. So we're almost done. But when that's oh, done, right. so this is this is going to be an addition to your house. When you said an addition, I thought you meant another kid. So yeah, yeah, an addition to your house. Yeah, absolutely. And the church and everything else. So I mean, what we've managed to add like 388 square feet for a pretty minimal amount of money. But of course, I'm doing all the footwork. I'm doing all the labor and recycling a lot of the materials. But again, tying perfectly into what you're saying about Yahweh providing. Yahweh does make a way, because even though in 2005 we had rented a business in a strip mall, and even though we had a building once upon a time, I don't think we're ever going to achieve the level that we're achieving now in the, in the regard of the Internet. The Internet allows you to put your voice out and millions of people listen to you in the course of a year. You know, it's too easy not to. It's a wonderful blessing, the Internet. It really is. Yahweh's provided it to us. I know the Internet has a lot of bad stuff on it, but it has a lot of good stuff on it. And it's how I found out about Jewel Seedline Christian Identity. And, you know, we've really got to make the most of it while it lasts because it's not going to last forever. Because once the, the collapse comes, the, the first thing that the, the talk show Jews will want to do is um, get rid of the Internet. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I showcase and focus upon the aspect of, it. like, even with Linda or Eli or Bob or whoever it is, you know, the time is now. You can't wait. When when you have people willing to be on the show, you should focus and showcase on that. We've got in the works over here, you're, we're trying to get Sherry Schreiner on. We're trying to get uh, uh, Fred Phelps' daughter, uh, Shirley Phelps Roper on, who many people know is a huge mouth. But getting, you know, the people from God Hates Fags even on this show, of course there's going to be a few people saying we're siding with Fred Phelps. I don't care. But having them on to discuss the aspect of how faggotry is an abomination in the eyes of God, we shouldn't really fault them for telling the truth, even though we don't agree with everything they say. Yes, well, some people have people like um, the writer of, oh, gee, well, I've forgotten the name of the book now, um, Civil War Two. Thomas Chitton, that's his name. I've got that uh, posted in the Christian Identity Reading Room, if ever, anyone would like to check it, check it out. Excellent book, by the way, just talking about, you know, how society is due for a collapse and the the various signs thereof, but I mean, people have him on their shows, and, and he's not a Christian identist by any stretch of the imagination. So you know, you're not sinning by having people who aren't Christian identists on your show if they're bringing a, a particular view viewpoint that you think might be valuable to people within Christian identity. I mean, you know, the fact that I work, you know, I've worked with all sorts of people throughout the course of my life, Jeremy. You know, fags, um, you know, Jews, um, you know. Wife beaters, adulterers, drug addicts, you name it. The fact that, you know, I work with those people that doesn't mean that, you know, I become like those people, you know? Yeah. So, so, so we can separate ourselves from the people we, we have on, on the show, you know? We're only doing this to try and, you know, um, to, to, to espouse a particular viewpoint over something. For example, like if we're going to have um, one of the Phelps people on the show, that would that, be a show focused on, you know, faggotry. You know, we're not going to... You know, tell people to go over to, to go and worship at the Phelps Church and believe the things that they do because they're involved in civil rights for, for non-whites. So you know, we're not going to get behind anything like that. But as far as the the aspect of their um, 
you know, what they teach about in regards to homosexuality. Well, that's okay. It's like, you know, you might go to a mechanic to fix your, your car and that mechanic might be a race mixer. But you're not going to him to, you know, get his thoughts on, you know, whether race mixing is good or, is good or not. You're going to him to get your, your car fixed. So that's the particular information, the value that you get out of that particular individual. It doesn't mean that you necessarily support everything he says and does. Yeah, that's a good analogy as well, because I get a lot of emails from people, and they're like, well, how can I get my mother to believe CI doctrine? You know, how can I get my boss even? And I usually tell them, look, you're not at work to sit and convert people. You're at work to make a living. And, and point in case, you shouldn't be saying anything to people at work unless they come to you. That's an entirely different story. But a lot of people within Christian identity, they, they get a little truth. They find out who Israel is, and then they run out, and they want to teach everybody else when they themselves are on the milk of the word. Well, many of the jobs I've had, uh, I, I had a job as a freight sorter a couple of years ago, and the, there were just so many non-whites there. It was, you know, uh, it was unbelievable. But, but if I went around being disrespectful to those people, saying, you know, get lost, you chink, or you, you nigger, you know, I'd be sacked in seconds flat and probably, you know, you know charged with an offence. I mean, you have to live in the real world. It doesn't mean that because you work with non-whites that you like working with non-whites and you think it's a good idea for non-whites to be in your country. But um, you have to live in the world as it is. You know, I'd love Australia to be completely free of non-whites, but it isn't that way. And most of the, certainly the working class kind of jobs that I've done and do, you know, labouring type jobs, you get a hell of a lot of non-whites there because they, they, you know, they go for those sorts of jobs. And even in the you know, the, the, the better kind of jobs, the, the white-collar jobs, you, you see a lot of non-whites. I worked in a corporation years ago, and um, the ratio of non-whites back then, this is back in the mid-1990s, here in Australia would have been about, well, in that corporation anyway, would, would have been about one in every three, one in every three people was non-white. Um, I, I worked for another corporation not that long ago, and two out of every three people were non-white. I mean, that's how, how, how rapidly things had changed just in the course of, you know, just over 10 years. But, I mean, you have to live in the real world. You know, you have to live amongst whites. You don't have to... Non-whites, I beg your pardon. You, you don't have to live with them, but you do have to live amongst you. Amongst you. I've got some li living, living next door to me, you know, and, and I work with plenty, you know. You've, you've got to... You don't want to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You have to live in the real world and you have to dwell amongst non-whites and sometimes speak to non-whites politely. And just because you're doing so doesn't mean that you've you know, turned your back on Yahweh and you think Christian identity is a load of rubbish or you're going to start espousing race fixing or anything like that. We think that as soon as we do something like this, we have a tendency to believe that we're you know, that person's going to just, just plunge into a mire of um, compromise and just you know start preaching all these... you know heretical things when, when, when they're not doing any such thing. Yeah, exactly. And that just goes to, the, to show the level of the straws the enemy grasps for. You know what I mean? If, if, we have, if we have Jesse Jackson on this show expousing how he used to be a black nationalist, that doesn't mean we're pro-black nationalists. No more than it means Howard Stern as a porn star when he has porn stars on his show. But that's what they'll reach for. That's what they'll grasp for. And that's what I was trying to point out about old Kentucky, who wants to come against me eight years later because I have Eli on the show. It's like, what have you done for CI? You know, give me a break. Because these guys don't do anything. All they can do is sit and say, oh, well, look, Pastor Visser did a show with Eli. Yeah, and I'll do more. What? You don't like it, turn the dial. That's all I can tell people. Yes, it's a shame that we, you know, tend to attack each other over some of the smallest things. Um, 
I didn't hear anything from um, Eli yesterday that I would regard as, you know, heresy or anything like that. Now, that's not to say that maybe he said something about something that I would disagree with. I, 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 I want to ask him about some thoughts about the Canaanites and things, but I didn't get a chance really to do that yesterday. He was on a roll and I didn't want to, you know, interrupt or anything like that, you know, or, or turn the turn the topic in a different direction and perhaps I'll get my knuckles wrapped from you know certain quarters of Christian identity as a result of that but I want to assure people that we Jeremy and I you know don't believe in race mixing we don't believe that you know anyone who isn't white can become a Christian even though we believe um, it's important to to um, you know um, to have that spiritual aspect to to our, our nature you know to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be led by the Spirit we're certainly not saying that you can have those things without being a white Israelite to begin with so really, we're not preaching anything that um, you know is, is heretical or you know that people would disagree with. I mean, we might have some people on the show that people mightn't wish we have on the show, but that and, and, and but the very fact that we're having them on doesn't mean that we go along with everything they say. I mean, I don't believe in everything you say, Jeremy. You probably don't go along with everything I say. I mean, there is no one in Christian identity with whom you're going to agree with, you know, um, 100%. I mean, we have to learn to try to get along with each other and if even if we don't like each other each other that much even if we kind of object to perhaps some of the things we're preaching or some of the people we might have had in our shows rather than attack each other and you know try and you know come across as all holier than thou by you know saying oh well you shouldn't have done this you shouldn't have done that maybe you know we ought, instead ought to keep our mouths shut and now um you know keep our hands off our keyboards and instead, you know, pray for one another that Yahweh makes us better people, you know, that we're, he puts us in a position where we'll make it into the kingdom. You know, these things are probably far more valuable to us than all the criticisms that we tend to level at one another. And, and you know, we don't want to go into the Great Tribulation as a divided rabble, you know, who holding holding out grudges towards one another. Uh, you know, we, we want to be a uni united force, even if it's united only in prayer. I mean, you know, if we're, we're going around calling one another, you know, names and criticising one, one another for just the slightest things, then we're going to be of no use to Yahweh when, you know, we, we, he, he really needs to, to rely upon us. You know, we're going to be his, his force. In, exactly. In the, in the tribulation that comes, and we we really need to stand up and you know um, be be strong in faith, be strong in our love for one another, be strong in our forgiveness for one another, and not let ourselves be beset and overcome by these idiotic and stupid criticisms. I mean, God doesn't nitpick on us about things. You know, why should we nit, nitpick on one another? Are we better than Yahweh? Yeah, yeah. That's how that's how the hypocrite thinks. Because you know, I've gotten emails today even. And people saying, well, how come you didn't ask Eli if he's a Jew? It's like, do I have to? Why didn't you ask Eli if he's a universalist? Because he said he isn't. And that's the whole point. You can't defend fiction, and that's my biggest problem with R.D. Bradshaw. I think Eli knows what he espouses, what he teaches, or at least what he believes better than I do, or what somebody else says about him on the Internet. So when I contacted R.D. Bradshaw by email, by the way, finding out he wasn't in Idaho but actually supposedly lived in New York somewhere on dial-up, I expressed that to him. You want me to defend myself against Rabbi Samuelson when he's making stuff up about me, saying I'm Cherokee, saying my wife is cheating on me? How can you defend that? That's undefendable. You just let the blind lead the blind. They fall in the ditch well that's very true uh yeah just the the amount of slander and everything that goes on is just insane but um yeah i don't believe i don't believe eli is a jew 
And I've heard all these, you know, rumours, all these canards levelled at him. If you have absolute proof, something that will stand up in a court of law that he is a Jew, then then show us it. I, I haven't seen anything yet. I mean, I've I have people who call me a Jew. You know, people call me a transsexual for goodness sake. You know, there are a lot of uh, there. Are, well, I won't say a lot. That's kind of boasting. But there are a couple of women, at least, that uh, would kind of disagree with with him on that point. <laughs> I digress. The point is, the point is. <laughs> Got to, moving right along. Uh, you know, um, we've got to stop telling these lies about one another. Just Look, if you don't like someone, you don't like their theology, fair enough. State your scriptural case and then shut up. Because anything else you're going to add after that is more likely than not going to be slander. And if you slander, as we saw last, last week, and we made it very clear from the Bible, from the words of Jesus Christ, from the red letters and the amplified version, and from just even the synonyms of slander, you know, you sin. So, you know, don't sin, folks. Yeah, that's a really good point, because that's the thing. When people want to, want to, you know, pound their square peg into a round hole and expect you to believe it as well, it's like, look, I'm not going to believe something, especially if Marty's the only one espousing it. Common sense dictates to children of the devil that's all they can do is lie. And so a lot of us don't even realize the level of the slander and how they actually work for the Southern Poverty Law Center and so forth until we become a target of that. And so that's what I mean. All those people out there who want to hate Pastor Visser, my advice to them is, first and foremost, turn the dial, especially you, Marty, for somebody who loves going on and on saying, I don't care, you're there every single time like a tick on my testicles that I can't get rid of. I wonder why that is. And secondly, you know, then debate. That's the whole point. These guys, all they can do is grasp for straw men. Supposedly, according to R.D. Bradshaw, I came out in full support of James Wickstrom and his adultery. And you know what? I'm still waiting for proof of this so-called adultery. Not that I'm defending Wickstrom, but I'm not going to turn around and, and call him an adulterer unless it's established by two witnesses. So far, all I know is Marty saying it. Well, if Eli's a Jew, then Bill's a Jew, I'm a Jew, you're a Jew, because he calls all of us Jews. And, and, and this whole nonsense about Eli being a Jew started with Linstead. I mean, there's your source, folks, a half-bearded lunatic who was put in jail in the nuthouse on charges of child molestation, who, when he came out, said that he wants to um, feed the testicles of little, little boys to the parents and uh, skin alive little white boys and girls and torture them and dismember them and feed them to their parents. And, I mean, this is our source of information? <laughs> I think not. Yeah, it's just like the old adage about in high school and junior high even, the bullies are usually the ones with the biggest inferiority complexes, and that's exactly what we see. Consider the source. A man's known by his enemies. If this guy's turning along saying Pete Peters is a Jew and, and, and Bill Fink and Eli James, then you know what? I'm in good company. Go ahead and call me as such. Well, if you don't like, and if you don't like Jeremy, if you don't like what he's preaching, you don't like what he's doing, how about praying that he gets better? The Bible says to pray for one another. It doesn't say pray for one another only if you like them and you respect everything that they say. It just says pray for one another, full stop. Um, you know, so, so that's what we ought to be doing and pray for the old agenda bender. Pray that you know, Yahweh delivers me from this <laughs> transsexualism that's got a hold of me. I want my pickle back. Somebody find the dingo. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's the whole thing, you know. So when they say to me, "How come you don't, you know, how come you don't sit and ask so and so?" I don't need to ask Obi if he's gay or a transsexual. I can take Obi at his word in the belief that Obi knows what's best for Obi, and Obi can speak for himself. 
That's why in the past when I've debated Martin Lindsay, I said, no, you know, I like the way I said it better. Because the way of the devil is to take something you say, completely take it out of context and turn it around and say, there it is. All I have to do is say, oh, too many chiefs, not enough Indians. That's proof to them. I'm, a, I'm, I'm an Indian, <laughs> according to them. All right, well, Jeremy, I'll have to get going in a couple of minutes. So, um, gee, we've covered a lot of ground today. I mean, we've covered so much, I can't even remember what we started the show, <laughs> the show with. Uh, but anyway, uh, we had some fun. So before I, I hit the road, is there, is there anything you, you want to say in closing? Or are you going to stick around and preach a, a sermon, or what's the deal? Yeah, I'm probably going to finish out the 5,000 fed because we did discuss that a bit. And, you know, and there's still probably 25, 30 people in the chat room. So I will definitely continue. But I did want to thank you, Obadiah, and I appreciate your help because through through your help and your preparing of the notes and so forth, you've taken Covenant People's Radio, at least the Wednesday night Bible studies, into an entirely different realm. You know, and people are going to tune in just for that aspect. And that, it goes to show the proper way of doing things. Before we go slander somebody how about we hear it from the horse's mouth first and foremost you know and that's why i'm going to we're going to continue having guests on and we're going to continue espousing and telling the truth as we know it and, and let me just say once again that you know we're not out to make any enemies in christian identity as far as i'm concerned everyone in christian identity is absolutely fantastic even those people i mightn't think aren't really all that fantastic uh, <laughs> You know, um, we've got to be loving towards one another and we've got to stop being this divided rabble. We've, we've got to start being united, as I've said many times in the past and I'll say again right now, you know, if only in prayer. You know, let's start praying that we get better rather than attacking one another because, it, folks, it never, no good ever comes out of it. It always ends up, you know, devolving into a, uh, a slanging match or a slandering match and it, it just never gets us anywhere. So, yeah, uh, exactly. On that note, Jeremy, um, I'll say uh, Yahweh bless. And um, I like to just before I go, I like to put the um, the show notes up for our our next show um, on um, Thursday Thursday night, usually your time, just so people will see that on the weekend. It'll give the show a bit of a plug. So if you have any topics you'd like to cover um, in the next show, maybe within the next 24 hours or so, uh, email me or better still uh, PM me and um, just tell me what you'd like to in include. If not, I'll just um, make them all up. <laughs> Make them all up myself. Exactly. Maybe we should just pick one. Like maybe next week we could do Plan 9 from Outer Space because judging from a lot of the pneumonians' response against, oh, we, well, Ed Wood, you know, there it is. You know, when a man's ways please Yahweh, you know, he maketh even his enemies to, to uh, be at peace with him. And that's exactly what they're going to find. That's the straw they're going to grasp for, Ed Wood. Go ahead. I love it. Well, I was looking at our, your talk show page, I should say, and all the different titles of our podcast. It's good that we have that variety because people, you know, will, will see, might see something that might, you know, appeal to them more and, uh, you know, there'd be more of a chance to, to, to them listening and actually heeding what we say. So it's good that we have that bit of variety. You know, we cover all those different topics and uh, sort of, you know, inject a bit of, you know, variety is the spice of life, as they say, not diversity, variety. So, um Anyway, on that note, I'll say Yahweh bless to you and our, our Christian identity listeners, our white Israelite listeners, that leaves out URD, and um, I'll, I'll see you or hear from you anyway next Wednesday. Yahweh bless. Excellent. Thank you. Yahweh bless. Looking forward to it, Obadiah. Bye. And so with that, as it being said, that's the whole beauty of this format. And I've received many emails from many listeners who've come along and said, wait, are you telling us that it's not a sin 
to watch a Dario Argento film like Suspiria or Inferno, and I'll inequivocally say, no, it isn't. Through media conditioning, many times the enemy wants to come along and say good is evil and evil is good. And so while my very first sermon, at least the only oldest surviving known sermon from Pastor Visser, is dated 1998. And that particular sermon was about heavy metal music, believe it or not, of all things. Why? Because the Judeo-Christian wants to come along and say, oh, don't listen to Ozzy Osbourne. Don't listen to Black Sabbath. Yet, ironically, Black Sabbath sang more about the book of Revelation and the day of the Lord, the devil, angels, and so forth, heaven and hell, then you hear in contemporary Christian music. So the same theory applies in Hollywood. While the Jew comes along and presents lighthearted comedies about adultery, race mixing, and group sex, they'll sit and condemn the horror film genre nonstop. Why is that? Well, it might be because the horror film genre centers around demons and angels, spiritual things that the world does not necessarily want to embrace as being what they are. But that, my friends, is an entirely different study. What Obadiah brought up was the fact that Jesus Christ, as our perfect example, was able to come along and feed the masses with little. That he was able to wait and be patient upon Yahweh God. And for the listener, if you'd like to call in, you can still call in. That invitation is open to you. But Philip comes and says, well, if we just had money, we could go and we could buy enough food to feed these 5,000 people. Next verse, that is verse 8, in chapter 6 of John chapter 6, that is the gospel. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, Who, Jesus? There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many? That's the question. Five barley loaves. Two fish, five being the number of grace. Grace, dear kinsfolk, was imparted from the very beginning. Grace was there for Adam and Eve to partake of, but they partook of the wrong tree. While it was Yahweh God who placed two trees or family trees within the Garden of Eden, that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life, it stands to reason, just like the rest of Scripture confirms, that mankind goes after that which is forbidden. They go after that because that's considered mystique. That's considered erotica or whatever the Jewish illuminated enemy wants to come along and attribute to it. They say, well, that's a uh, – whatever it is, they entice it. And so while the media has tons of movies, television shows, magazines, all dedicated to the art, if you will, of slander and gossip, it still, once again, even on a superficial level, falls back to you and I to be able to understand that not part of what we see on television is true, not that we can only believe some of what we see on television, but the aspect of the television is the fourth and fifth dimension. Nothing you see on television is real. Why? Because it's pre-recorded. It's not happening. It's not tangible. It's not something you can touch. But in today's age, mankind has duped himself into believing that, well, if I watch a lot of TV, I'm somehow smarter than the rest of the world. And that's where the detractor comes from. While they can come along and say Christian identity is 100% wrong by default, coming out the gate, never even having to prove it, they develop this belief through the television. They'll say to you, well, of course the Jews are God's chosen. Why? Well, they've heard it 150,000 times throughout their life. To them, it is truth. But is it? That's the whole question. If it's not written, it is not true. According to John 
And according to Jesus Christ, in John seventeen seventeen, he says, Thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Meaning, the word is truth. And Jesus Christ could say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Why? Because he's the living word. John 1, 1. John 1, 14. This is something we need to understand. Not only should we understand that Jesus Christ is the word on a superficial level, but we must be able to understand that that word word comes from logos the only way to truly understand what a word is or a logos is is through the hebrew aramaic acrostics so as we call jesus christ the living word please understand the aspect that that comes from an acrostic many people want to come along and say hey i can translate the bible but never even understanding that every single hebrew letter and word has a numerical value and it has a numerical value so you couldn't come along in the year 2012 and say well hebrews changed oh no indeed dear kinsfolk ancient hebrew has not changed one iota Unlike other languages out there, unlike even German and American English, Hebrew is locked in its numerical value, so you can come along right now in 2012 and read exactly what was written 2,000 years ago. And what was written 2,000 years ago is Andrew coming up to him. Then one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, there's a lad who has five loaves and two fishes. Verse 10 in John chapter 6. Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down and number about 5,000. 5,000 men sit down and they sit down on grass. Many of you right about now will be saying, but wait, Pastor Visser, there is no grass in the Holy Land over there in the Middle East, in that land, that sandbox out there that exists that's known as Israel. And the reason they say that is because they believe Israel is a place as opposed to a people. But Yahweh God knows better, and Yahweh God straightforwardly says in Jeremiah, be, Repent, backsliding Israelites, for I am married unto you. <coughs> the Israelites are a people, not a place. And when we look to a place in fulfillment of prophecy, we should not be surprised when time and time again we are let down by our own opinions. Man believes that his opinion is fact, and therefore everything he does is right in his own eyes. This is the reason the adulteress can sit and wipe her mouth while she shows with you, say, I've done no evil, when she is doing evil. This is the reason Second Peter chapter 2 says, while they'll sup with you, the false prophet or the false believer will have eyes full of adultery seeking to destroy you and take from you. Why do they do that? Because it's up to you, your fault, your responsibility to know who's who and who's you. Andrew came along and said, that's enough. Here it is, five loaves, two fishes. But how are we going to be able to feed so many? Jesus says, sit down, sit down in the grass. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Now, before continuing, we should understand that the fish or the logo of the fish is representative of Jesus Christ, and that also is another acrostic that we get from the Word of God. That doesn't straightforwardly come out anywhere in the King James Version of the Bible and say that the fish is the symbol of Christians, or does it? Because it actually does, but it is found there within an acrostic, and that perhaps is another study for another day. He gave thanks. That's the whole point. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, as Obadiah pointed out, he distributed them to all those that were seated. So much the fish, as much as they wanted. They were able to eat as much as they want. And so we should be reminded about this stage in this account that the famine in the end times is not for food. It's not for what people say we must have, but it's for the word of God. 
if the famine in the end times is for the word of God, then obviously those false prophets out there aren't teaching the truth, causing the flock to be hungry, and that is the ease of Christian identity. Because many of you out there who've contacted me or listened over the years have, have said to me, Hey, Pastor Visser, you know, I've heard this my entire life, but it didn't make sense until you explained it. A perfect example of that would be Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. You know, they're told in the Judeo-Christian pulpits that, well, Adam and Eve were the only two people on earth. Oh, so why was Cain afraid that someone would kill him? Why did Cain have to be marked? And who exactly did Cain marry? Well, Christian identity is able to answer the questions that the Judeos are not. Why? Because the Judeos don't even believe what it is they follow or what they espouse and what they teach. The Judeos follow political correctness, just like the Catholics, meaning that if someone comes along and says the word of God is metaphor, it's allegory, it's not meant to be taken literal, well, that's good enough for them. But again, Eli James and Yahweh God both know how to literally explain themselves that we do not need an interpreter to come along and say, well, Eli really meant, Pastor Visser really meant, and God really meant. Oh, no, indeed. If God says something within his word of God, you must do then it is either repent or perish. Bottom line, God doesn't ask you to understand why he says not to eat certain things, not to do certain things, or not to suffer particular individuals to live, but he asks you to do it. Why? Because in doing it, then do you understand. Perfect example of that is tolerance of homosexuals has led not to a better world, but to a world that now allows homosexuals to get quote-unquote married. Tolerance of miscegenation has not led to a better world. <laughs> Rather, it has turned this world into one that is accepting and tolerant of things that they ought not. Now, we should already know that tolerance is not a virtue. And the very word itself, tolerance, means we're tolerating something that we should not tolerate to begin with. But the average quan out there wants to come along and say, you know what, I'm accepted of all people. You know, I want to go with the masses. I want to do what the masses do. But it should be pointed out that Jesus Christ time and time again said, beware the Broadway. Many people go the Broadway because that's human instinct. They want to be accepted. They don't want to be seen as outcasts. They don't want to be seen as half-bearded idiots in Granby, Missouri. But be that as it may, does that change the truth? Oh, no, indeed. Many people want to come along and they say, well, Christian identity says this. Does that change the reality of God's word? No, indeed. And that ties perfectly into what I was saying earlier in tonight's broadcast. Just because man has been predicting rightfully since the dawn of time, the end of this age, does not mean that there will not be an end of this age. Just because the atheist or the fool comes along and says, I don't believe in God, doesn't mean they're any safer in judgment when God judges them. But that is the way of man. They come along and say, well, I don't believe in God. Therefore, I'm not subject to God's laws. Oh, really, I say. How about the law of gravity? How about the laws of common sense? Every single living creature down here on God's green earth is subject to the law of God in one way or another. Now they can come along and say, I don't follow Yahweh God. I don't follow the law, per se. But as it stands, the blessings, the curses, will be added. And that's why I continue to stress the importance of following the Word of God. Because there is no blame game in judgment. We cannot come along as we stand before Jesus Christ and say, well, Billy Graham misled me. Billy Graham said the Jews were God's chosen when you never in your life, 30, 40, 80 years, if you're lucky, bothered to open the word of God for yourself and see if what's true is true.
the ironic part of this all is the fact that mankind does prefer darkness. Mankind prefers slander because that's so much easier to hate, is it not? So much easier to do what Jesus Christ forbids than it is to do what he says. For example, love your neighbor, pray for your enemy, and so forth. So what they do is they provide that. The Jew knows that if they tell a lie and they tell the same lie long enough, whether it be the Holocaust, whether it be, oh, I had to live with wolves in the snow and drink my own urine, there's going to be gullible idiots out there who buy it time and time again. Why? First and foremost, it's easier. And two, it's accessible. If it's there, that's what people go after. And that is the reason why Jesus Christ gives thanks to Yahweh God in all things. We should do exactly what he does. So are you thanking God for the blessings he's given you? Perfect example of that is this. In scripture it says that a wife from Yahweh, whoso obtaineth a wife, obtaineth a good thing, and obtains the favor of Yahweh God. That is a blessing that we know coming out the gate. A good, virtuous woman is a blessing from God. Also, children, happy the man with a full quiver of them. Children are considered outright blessings of Yahweh God in his word. And it stands to reason they should be, because they're only on lease to you. They're not your children, they're God's children, and you should raise them accountably. But of these two things, these are the only two things that are straightforwardly considered blessings. That's not to say they are the only two blessings we can receive, but that is to say that when you have a virtuous wife, and you have many children, and you have a home ruled in subjection, then you should be able to know you're blessed of God. It's common sense. It's just like the statement, pride goes before destruction. We understand that pride goes before destruction. We should be smart enough to know that when we become prideful, destruction is coming. But the average man spends all his time looking outward. The scripture lawyers, they say, well, this particular person didn't espouse what I liked. This particular person preaches what I believe to be a universalist message. So what is wrong with everyone else when they don't see things my way? Dear friends, we must understand that it is a surefire sign of mental illness when man walks around more worried that the world does not believe as he does instead of just allowing people to make up their own mind. That is the difference between Christian identity and a cult. Christian identity from its inception, which is all the way back at the throne of Christ, but at least from Swift, Compare, and so forth, always taught work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We're not to worry about what other people say and what other people are supposed to preach, and we are most assuredly not supposed to give ourselves over to who we deem the enemy. So it stands to reason, does it not? If Rabbi Samuelson sees me as an enemy, well, my enemy sure spending a hell of a lot of time uh, writing about me should be common sense, should be made self-apparent. But Jesus Christ knew all the devices of the wicked, and that was the reason why they never worked. Oh, indeed, they come against Jesus Christ because they couldn't attack him theologically, and they'd say, well, he picked corn on the Sabbath. <laughs> He, being a man, professes to be God, even though he didn't necessarily say that in the term they do, and they would attempt to catch him in a trap. That is the same exact modus operandi the enemy uses today. Because if they cannot debate you theologically, if they cannot compete with your listenership, then what they will do is they'll present a straw man and then turn around and attack every single person who doesn't agree with their interpretation of the strong man and so, or the straw man. And as I said, Christian identity has always espoused, think for yourself. There's not a single Christian identity pastor who's going to come along, if he's genuine, and say, don't listen to this person. Don't listen to that person. And so I'll say on record right now, please do. 
go and listen to Rabbi Samuelson if you even know who I'm talking about. Because the average person out there who does listen to that will be disgusted. So, by the fruits, we do know them. And fruits is the only surefire way we can discern anything. Because there's a million and one people out there professing to be Christians who deny them in lifestyle. And so it stands. Andrew says, hey, we could do this. And they sat down. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed. Verse 12. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves. So, oh, wait, all of a sudden, according to biblical numerics, five turned to 12. Five, biblical, according to uh, biblical numerics, or number in scripture by Bollinger, is the number of grace. But yet here it is, 12, the number of governmental perfection. This is why there were 12 disciples. This is why 12 plays so prolifically, why there's 12 tribes of Israel. But 12 is the number of governmental perfection. And so his faith turned grace into perfection. His grace turned faith into enough to feed the masses, and it will be no different for you. Remember that Jesus Christ straightforwardly said, you'll do greater miracles than he did. And for the average person, they'll say, how can that be? Because Jesus Christ gave life to the dead, the ability to see to the blind, the ability to hear to the deaf. But this is one such example. You can give one person a morsel of truth from the Word of God, and like a seed, it will grow. We have the ability to feed 5,000 with five, five loaves and two fishes, but it requires faith. And not only faith, the ability to turn towards Yahweh God and thank him for the blessings he has bestowed upon it. Are you grateful for the five loaves and the two fishes? Or are you going to sit around, cry, and kvetch that you don't have enough to feed the masses? You always have enough to feed the masses. Jesus Christ straightforwardly said, man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He said that to Satan, I might add. And so while the devil is a scripture lawyer, while the devil once upon a time was considered that anointed cherub that covereth, according to Ezekiel, meaning it was the devil directly across from Michael, the archangel, on the very mercy seat of Yahweh God itself. He knows the law because he stood over it, and he knows how to twist the law better than you and I. That is the reason why the devil will tell you 1% lie with 99% truth. And that 1% lie is enough to destroy you. So, always go back to the Word of God. Always see if what's being taught is true. When they ate their fill, he, Christ, told the disciples and said, gather the fragments left over. Fragments. Well, there's many fragmented people out there, many people who even have a fleeting idea of what Scripture teaches, but all the pieces aren't locked together like the jigsaw puzzle yet. That's the position of you and I, dear listener. It is our job to tell the truth in season and out of season, just as Jesus Christ did. It's not necessarily our position to worry about what the enemy does, but have faith within the aspect that the enemy's devices will come to naught. They never have. That's the beauty of it. So while me and Oba, Obadiah continually make lighthearted fun of a rabbi within our movement, and with good cause, it should be pointed out that in over eight years of him trying to de destroy me, it hasn't worked. You must 
have an enemy. That is why God created the devil. Many people come along and say, why would God create the devil in the first place if he already knew, being omnipotent, that he would turn? That's the reason why. That's also the reason why God put two trees in the beginning. He doesn't want robots. He wants you to love him naturally as a child loves their father. Not begrudgingly, not coming along saying, damn, God told me I shouldn't eat pork and I can't adulterate today, as if they're great burdens on you, but rather to be grateful enough to please Yahweh God. First and foremost, we should be grateful that we're called out of the world, that Yahweh God has chosen us in the first place to be able to see his truth as it's plainly transcribed. But many people, like I say, want to fit a square peg into a round hole, and it simply doesn't work, not without destroying the round hole. So they gathered them up. They had 12 baskets. Verse 14 in John chapter 6. When 14. When the people saw the sign which he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now this is the perception of the men round about. This is also the perception of men round about you in your daily walk. If you were to ask them, hey, who is Jesus Christ? You'll get a dirge barrage of answers. Some will say, well, he was a good man who fancied himself a prophet. Some will say, well, he was a Jewish rebel. Some will say, well, he's a Nazarene. Some will say, well, he was the Messiah. Peter made that statement. He said, Thou art the Son of the Most High, the Messiah. And to that, Jesus Christ retorts and says, Well, upon you, Peter Petros, this rock, I will establish my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's not saying Catholicism. That's not saying that there will be a building out there somewhere that will never be destroyed because every single one of them rises and falls as time goes on. That is to say that there is a body a body politic or an ecclesia, those that will follow him, 10,000 reserved who have not bowed knee to Baal then and in the future. So the enemy comes along and they'll do one of two things. They will teach 100% submission to their word, their law, their world that they've created because that's where the devil wants you and their lie. Or they will come along and they will defile the truth, speak evil of those who do tell the truth, and slander them. So we should not be surprised when the same exact thing happens within Christian identity. But what we should do is always go back to two witnesses and where this stems from. If you trace the money trails long enough in this war, you should be able to see that the Jew profits from it. So if we follow the paper trails from the dissenter amongst Christian identity, as Obadiah has pointed out, those who want to come along and call a particular person a Jew, you should be able to see that they have a vested interest and slandering people. So, to me, it's beautiful. Meaning, that when God says, touch not by an anointed, he really meant exactly what he said. He meant it because if you do touch his anointed, you may not die immediately like Adam expected. You may not just give up the ghost and fall over. But I rest assured you will be cursed. And that's the teaching of Christian identity. Not some kingdom out there, not heaven floating in space. But a world without end, amen, a world under the government and establishment of Yahweh's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. That is the true mindset of every Christian. They will pray what Jesus Christ taught them, and that is you, Yahweh God, do not lead me into temptation. They don't give power to the devil. And they say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is Yahweh's will? Well, it's transcribed within the first five books of Moses, considered the Pentateuch. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. His will is transcribed in his law. So you will know that the one who created you knows how you are to run your life, your body, your health, and everything else.
So while down here in this politically correct era, man is more concerned with the uh, breeding stock of his horses than they are their own daughter, so it stands throughout time. We should only earnestly be contending for the faith once delivered unto the saints. The saints did not turn around and slander anybody. Rather, they would tell the truth. And that's the difference between the slander and gossip shows out there who are 100% nonstop defiling our Christian identity pastors and those who actually try. While they come along and say, Pete Peters was this and Pete Peters was that, you know what? Pete Peters at least loved Christ and tried to follow what Christ told him. And that, my friend, is a lot more comeuppance with Yahweh God than somebody who thinks they've got it all right in the Word of God or, th- or thinks they got a better premise than their betters. So with that being established, and there's still being 15-some-odd people in the chat room, I'll go ahead for another 10 or so minutes to allow one final chance for callers, and then I'm going to go ahead and round it up. But uh, stressing the importance of it, can you feed a multitude? Yes, we can. We can feed a multitude by telling them the truth. And as this movement stands, somebody will come into the movement, they'll listen to you, they'll say, wow, I was touched by this. Then they listen to you. And they re-listen to you, and they listen to everything you say. And the power of Christian identity is not from having 10,000 warlords, not from coming along saying, you know what, I'm going to be despised and hated and contrary to all men like the Jew is, but rather knowing that all power truly comes from Yahweh God. And if you want to know true power and be able to change the world, your life, your habits, or whatever else, the only way we can do that is through Yahweh God. And through Yahweh God in faith. That is what Jesus Christ set forward for us. He wanted to have it set up so that everything was reliant upon the person. Nowadays, a man can go put on a tie, get a job, charging usury, and think he's better than everyone else that he steps upon while he climbs that corporate ladder of success, quote-unquote. But not so under Yahweh's rule. Yahweh's, under Yahweh's law, someone like that would be seen for what they are, targeted, and most likely taken out of the way. But under Yahweh's law, if we do it His way, if we seek His face, if we truly try to please Him through obedience, then He will add to us. So as you sit around many of the listeners and say, well, I've never met a virtuous woman. I've never been blessed with children. Well, that may be God's plan for you. As Paul taught, and As Paul taught, a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife. So also was Paul a single man. So it stands to reason that there is a time and a place for everyone. But to sum it all up, it is this. Where thou beest, beest thou content? Be content. If you're in jail hearing this, be content that you're in jail, and at least use the time you have in jail to reach others with the truth of Christian identity, or at least the truth of the Bible. If you're living in a day-to-day lodge somewhere in Federal Way, Washington, wondering where your next meal is going to come from, then at least be grateful that you have life and you have a roof over your head. Because I assure you, dear kinsfolk, there are nations out there that are much more cursed than we are, but it's easy to get lost in thinking that they exist. What I'm saying is, it's easy to come along and say, well, the Africans are are cursed. It's easy to come along and say, Japan just got hit with a big tsunami. It seems like all of these atrocities are happening over there. Well, maybe there's a reason these things are happening. And why exactly should the Christian be upset and worried about the Buddhists when they don't even know our God? Well, 
You don't have to be, dear kinsfolk. Follow the truth. Follow the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Yahweh God doesn't come along and say there's not other gods. Yahweh God doesn't say Buddha, Mecca, Allah, and all these gods are wrong. But what a God does say is this. I am the God of the Israelite people. And my Israelite people know my voice. They'll follow and they'll obey. That is how we know the true from the Jew. Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, not only that the law of God is for eternity, that until heaven and earth pass, not one jot, not one tittle, shall in no wise pass from his law, but he also goes on to expand, that so also do people who teach the law of God is done away with, meaning his morality, will also be considered the least within the kingdom. The least within the kingdom, at least the kingdom on earth, is outside the gate. That's as least as you can get, dear kinsfolk. So it stands to reason. Do not turn around and say the law is done away with when that's what Jesus Christ taught. Do not turn around and say, oh, the law is the offense when Jesus Christ died under that law to free you, at least from the law of the statutes and the ordinances. That is, the blood sacrifices that we used to have to make. We no longer have to sacrifice turtles, lamb, turtle doves, lambs, and bullocks. But rather now, we have the blood of Jesus Christ. And as I pointed out last night, and will continue to point out from this pulpit, under the new covenant, when we go out and sin willingly, we become responsible for the blood of Jesus Christ. Unlike the turtle dove, unlike the bullock. So if anything that Jesus Christ did was this, he made it more stringent upon you. So that you would not have the ability to turn around and say, I did not know. So that you would not turn around in judgment and say, well, uh, Martin Lindsay misled me. Rather, everything comes back to your feet. If you love Yahweh God, you will study to show yourself approved. So with that being established and no callers this evening, I will once again tell you, please tune in. Next Wednesday at 7 o'clock where Obadiah 118 and myself will be presenting a whole entirely new uh, series, most likely, but definitely a whole new show centering around this exact topic, which is the Word of God. Uh, I invite you to call in to participate and especially to promote it. To the 15, 20 some odd people who are still listening, I definitely tell you, Yah bless, we will be back and probably will have a Sunday morning pulpit sermon. I know many of you have been waiting for Hermas, chapter, uh, the second part of Hermas, because that's the apocryphal uh, book. You know, and many people have never covered that. I don't think anybody else in Christian identity has covered that. So as they come along and they want to sit and, and teach Sir Budgie's Cave of Treasures that was written in 1921, 27, 47, please, dear kinsfolk, at least go back to the text. At least go back and find out the background of what's being taught. There's much to be learned from Enoch. There's much to be learned from the non-canonized apocryphal text, even the Gnostic text. But at the same time, there's much to be lost if we accept the untrue text as truth. And the same can be said with any form of dogma. It is not what we know that destroys us, but what we know that is not so. If you believe a lie, dear kinsfolk, chances are you don't believe in just one lie. For example, you come along and say, hey, I don't believe the devil's real. Well, you've got to throw out temptations. And uh, if Jesus wasn't tempted of the devil, or he was temp then he was tempted of his own flesh, which means then he's not perfect. Then if Jesus Christ is not perfect, then he's not an atonable sacrifice. And if Jesus Christ is not an atonable sacrifice, well, his blood cannot forgive your sins. One mess, dear kinsfolk, one wrong belief can lead you down the slippery path of apostasy. 
How can I say that? There's so many admonitions that it cannot even be stressed enough. So with that, dear kinsfolk, this is Pastor Visser once again from the heart of the dirty south, that is Atlanta, Georgia, wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen. <laughs>